This is a meeting of the San Francisco Port Commission for May 9th, 2023. Roll call. President Kimberly Brandon. Here. Vice President Willie Adams. Here. Commissioner Gail Gilman. Present. Commissioner Ed Harrington. Here. And Commissioner Stephen Lee. Here. The San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. <coughs> As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatishaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item two is the approval of minutes for the April 25th, 2023 Port Commission meeting. So, so moved. Second. Thank you. Um, any comments or questions regarding the minutes? All in favor? Aye. 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 The minutes have been approved. Next item, please, Jenica. Item three is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <clears throat> Item 4 is announcements. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. A member of the public has up to three minutes to make public comments on each agenda item unless the Port Commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comment must be in respect to the current agenda item. The Commission will take in-person and remote public comments on each item, beginning with commenters in person. For remote public comment, dial 1-415-655-0001 and enter access code 2592-202-7424, pound, pound. Then dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment on the item being discussed. An audio prompts will signal when it is your turn to speak. If you are watching this meeting on SFGov TV, there is a short broadcasting delay. To not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced. Mute your device and listen to the meeting from your telephone, which has no delay. <coughs> item number five is public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Thank you, Jenica. I just want to note that our screens are not on. Are they supposed to be? Are they supposed to be working? Yes, they are. If you could hold, please. Oh. We have to turn them on. Just turn them on. <laughs> Is it really as simple as turning them on? Just spoil the head. Sometimes it's easier than you'd imagine. We could have did that. <laughs> right? A two-year-old, we could figure that one out. <laughs> Thank you, Jenica. Thank like you. Like your phone, you have to turn it on. <laughs> Is there any public comment on items not listed on the agenda? Seeing none, Monica, do we have anyone on the phone that would like to comment? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Jenica, next item, please. Item six is the executive director's report. 
Good afternoon, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, members of the commission, port staff, members of the public. I'm Elaine Forbes, the executive director. First, I want to recognize and wish everyone happy Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. This month, the port will proudly celebrate the rich cultural heritage of the AAPI communities, achievements, and remarkable contributions to our city, nation, and beyond. Two, economic recovery. Uh, first, I would like to discuss the Fisherman's Wharf sole source and give you an update from the informational item we had April the 25th. Uh, this was really an exciting opportunity for us to try the, the uh, process in the waterfront land use plan that was approved through our EIR for sole source. And we know that sole source is really different for us than when we solicit through an RFI or an RFP for development opportunities because when we solicit, we have a plan. Uh, we've worked with the community. We've worked with you to uh, really define our criteria. Uh, with a sole source, someone comes in and has a plan we didn't have yet. And, and it's an opportunity to see that whether or not we should explore it further with them. Um, so we tried our process, and we actually thought it was excellent. It really infused transparency and public review early in the process. It was very well designed. Uh, we have the benefit of testing this, this sole source process out, and we uh, received solid cross-sectional feedback in terms of what the port staff would need to negotiate in the project agreement to ensure a successful investment and a more vibrant fisherman's wharf. Uh, we really heard about fishing and the history and the fabric of the community from the public outreach process, and it was very successful test, and uh, we received early feedback and lots of transparency. Following the April 25th hearing, we had several conversations internally and with other policymakers and stakeholders about whether the proposal is a unique opportunity for which a waiver of competitive bidding is appropriate. In this circumstance, we concluded that we do need to do more outreach to understand if there are other interested parties, because this port commission and the board of supervisors will need that information to consider the sole source waiver request. How it will work, um, the port's uh, COO assistant port director, Michael Martin, is preparing to issue a request for interest from parties who may be interested in developing some or all of the properties identified in the Fisherman's Wharf revitalized proposal. To learn more about that interest, what it may be, and whether the other proposals could potentially <clears throat> provide a level of port and public benefit that would justify a further competitive process. We're not sure we would recommend this process in the future, but in this instance, we think it is important and helpful to gather that outreach information. Uh, the RFI will be open for 30 days after issuance. We'll bring the results back to you in July, and we look forward to this really important public dialogue. Uh, we have a huge opportunity in Fisherman's Wharf, and this sole source is something to engage in. Uh, in the meantime, we will continue to develop strategies to bring needed now improvements and revitalization to the wharf, and you're going to hear about that in item A on today's commission agenda. Now I turn to the southern waterfront. <clears throat> Thousands of people uh, came to the waterfront this last weekend for Sail GP. Uh, this is an international sailing race. It showcases our beautiful waterfront, and the home base is at Pier 80. 
along with an estimated 15,000 people who watched the championship races from the Race Village, Chrissy Field, Marina Green, and out on the bay, Sail GP also attracted nearly 1,000 people a day to our Pier 80 camp facility. This year, 10 international teams welcomed local school children from District 10 and around the city in a program called Inspire. Uh, the kids learned sailing fundamentals, wind and hydronomics, and environmental stewardship. Australia did win again, and I understand it's the third year in a row, uh, but Team USA and SailGP look forward to returning to San Francisco in 2024 for another exciting event to Pier 70 in the dog patch. It's really thrilling to see what's happening in Building 12 uh, as it springs to life and attracts new local businesses. Our vision has always been to create a new waterfront neighborhood that really embodies a sense of belonging for all San Francisco and San Franciscans to enjoy. And this vision is starting to bloom. Brookfield and a team of brokers and marketing specialists have been hard at work on Building 12. This is a really beautifully rehabilitated historic building on the ground floor with public places for retail shops and studios for local artisans and makers. We'll be excited to welcome the new, business, the new businesses over the course of six to 18 months. Next week is Small Business Week, and it's a really important opportunity for us to uplift and celebrate all of our small businesses that are our tenants, and many of them have struggled long and hard on the road to recovery post-COVID. In San Francisco, over 95% of businesses are small businesses, employing nearly 1 million people in the Bay Area, so let's celebrate our tenants from Fisherman's Wharf to the Southern Waterfront. <coughs> Turning to equity, we are also a more inclusive waterfront by our intentional efforts to plan events that center on BIPOC communities. For the past two years, we've been the proud sponsor of Juneteenth on the Waterfront. This event brings black-owned businesses, primarily from District 10, into the Ferry Market Plaza and has been an incredible celebration of Juneteenth. We are very proud to partner with our Human Rights Commission in the Dream Keepers Initiative, and we keep expanding the celebration. This year, it, in addition to being the third year, we'll have an inaugural Juneteenth parade down Market Street, and Mayor London Breed will lead this parade. These uh, events should bring many more people, even larger crowds, and a really great opportunity on the Juneteenth holiday. Please mark your calendars for Saturday, June 10th. Uh, the parade will begin in Civic Center Plaza at 11 a.m., and the Juneteenth at the Waterfront event is scheduled from 9 to 2. I hope to see many of you there. Turning to resilience, I had a great opportunity to join City Administrator Carmen Chu and Chief Resilience Officer Brian Strong as they welcome members of the Resilient Cities Network along the waterfront. We were able to work with 100 member cities from around the world who are working on implementing and designing responses to sea level rise and climate change. I was able to talk about our particular journey as, as being one of uh, a city just completely committed to a resilient and stable future and how we've been on such a long journey and have gotten so far uh, from when the city first said the seawall was a critical asset uh, to when the city went uh, on grants uh, with uh, living cities to figure out how to pay for such a program. The controller's office helped us. The city came together with our 
Prop A bond for $425 million uh, down payment for the program. And now we're set with the Army Corps of Engineers to figure our flood study, our um, plan for our resilience. And we've just come such a long way thanks to being just a leader in the resilience uh, effort. So it was quite a day, and it was a proud day for our resilience team. I'm turning to key projects. Um, I wanted to talk with you about Piers 3032. Uh, Senator Wiener's bill has moved forward. Um, the Senate Natural Resources and Water Committee approved the bill uh, 10 to 0. Um, as you know, uh, the legislature is making key trust findings on the value of this project. Um, this would uh, move, remove six acres of fill, retain our deep water berth, provide new recreational amenities, and importantly, invest $400 million in seismic and sea level rise investments. Uh, we are working with BCDC on the bill, as is the Senator's office, um, and it may result in clarifying language on our special area plan and the work we will do with BCDC to modernize that plan. So we're making good progress. Uh, it should be in the Senate Appropriations Committee next month on the floor in June, and it is expected to pass. Uh, so I'd like to thank David Beaupre for his outstanding work, and he got the first, uh, the bill went first through the committee on his birthday. So congratulations to David Beaupre. Now I'd like to give you an update on the Pier 19 COVID emergency trailers site. We had planned to bring our informational to action today, but we are delaying the item because we'd like to work with HSH as they continue to figure out the best wind down program and find suitable places for everyone um, it, that are currently housed at that location. Supervisor Walton prepared a resolution for you and HSA asking you to please con uh, put the uh, uh, residents first, uh, continue the well-being of the residents, and uh, to support HSH's wind down. We concur, concur completely, and we are working with HSH as recommended. And we're very proud that we were able to use this site uh, for an emergency uh, during COVID. It is industrial land, and it is not suitable for long-term use, but we're very um, pleased that we were able to step up in the COVID emergency. So we'll continue to work with HSH, and we plan to be back at the next calendar. Okay, um, finally, this is the worst part of my director's report, which has been quite long, apologies. But I'd like to now close by acknowledging Rebecca Venesini. <laughs> she says she's leaving at the end of this month, uh, so we have to acknowledge her. Um, she came to the port in 2016. It was the same year that I was appointed port director. And she was our development director for some time. And she just hit the ground running and was just this light that came into the organization. Um, so capable of putting work together, so capable of bringing people together and just someone everyone kind of immediately wanted to work with. Uh, she was promoted to deputy director of real estate and development and she had to face the pandemic with her team. And it was a very hard reality that she and her team were facing. They were completely upside down in terms of the staffing to deal with the, the uh, details on the ground. You jumped up and got your um, tenant relief programs, kept people in place, figured out how to do shared prosperity. All the while, folks weren't paying their bills. It was a very, very difficult time. And we were facing a pandemic personally and professionally. But Rebecca Benesini jumped up and tackled the challenges with her team. And they have just 
achieved incredible results in difficult times. And um, what else to say about her? She's definitely an emerging leader. She's grown a lot at the Port of San Francisco. Um, she's extremely flexible and creative, but she knows people's responsibility, accountability, and risk transfer. She's a tough negotiator, and she's very fair. Um, she's going away to go on a world tour with her family, so we can't argue about that. She has done a great job with her secession plan. She has very strong contributors in the real estate and development department who are already jumping up to fill in Becca Benessini's shoes. So uh, with huge gratitude, Becca, thank you for your contributions to the port. We'll miss you terribly. Thank you. That concludes my report. Thank you, Elaine. Um, trying to figure out how to handle this because I really want to do Rebecca separate from okay. the, the, your report. Um, so let's start with Rebecca. <laughs> and anyone that would like to comment on Rebecca leaving us, please come forward. Good afternoon, Commissioners. David Beaupre, Deputy Director of Planning and Environment. Uh, I wanted to thank Becca for her years of service and also recognize that I've had a great benefit of actually working with Becca for 17 years. Uh, Commissioner Brandon, you may recall that during the Pier 70 Preferred Master Plan, Rebecca had a different role where she was the project manager and lead with economic planning systems on Pier 70 and was a great partner with me in going through that three-year community planning process to get Port Commission's endorsement, <laughs> leading to the great development that's happened at Pier 70. Um, from there, I worked with her, supporting her as a planner in the Planning and Environment Division uh, on her development projects, and then had the great benefit of going and working with and under her in planning and development, and then back with uh, planning <clears throat> and environment. So um, really appreciate the time that I've spent with Rebecca. I'm going to miss her. What I've really appreciated is her sense of humor um, her uplifting attitude and perspective on everything. It's just always a pleasure to walk in a room or be in a meeting with her because she has great ideas and has a ton of energy, which I am jealous of. Uh, her wit and intelligence and being able to get to issues and identify them quickly and come up with different brainstorming ideas on how to resolve uh, or continue to work through. And then uh, just her friendship. So I'm going to miss you a lot, Rebecca. Have great travels. Uh, my sense is, is that you're going to come back to us in some form. I suggested that maybe she could become an LBE and consult for us. So, with that, have a great trip, and thank you very much. Thank you, David. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Mike Martin, Assistant Port Director. Uh, I came to the port in 2017 after uh, Executive Director Forbes and Rebecca arrived, and I came in as a know-it-all from City Hall um, who thought I could come in and fix the world, and I came into a waterfront development director named Rebecca Benassini who knew way more than me. Um, <laughs> and she became probably the best thought partner I've ever had in city government, um, just because we had different strengths, we had different weaknesses, but we both had this vision of what the port could be that was really aligned. And um, that has only grown uh, even when we moved on to our new roles where I was looking over her shoulder and realizing she was doing my old job better than me in real estate <laughs> and development. Um, and I just want to say this is uh, personally and professionally like one of the bigger tough moments of my career, but I'm super excited for her and her family uh, as a friend. And so, 
you know, we'll soldier on and try to continue to realize that vision that we shared together. And uh, like David, I really expect her to come back someday and fix it. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you Mike. Hi, I, just, I want to be brief. Uh, Josh Keen, uh, the development director, and you know, we, we, I'm also a city hall hack. Um, and it was very hard to leave the city and come from the city's real estate division and been working with you know, General Fund and the whole group for a lot of different projects. And I was really on the fence about actually leaving and coming over to the port. It wasn't a jump, it was just, just looking for something. And you know, there's people in organizations and you know, Rebecca got me into this organization that I love because of who the person she is. She's so charismatic. She brings so many traits that I don't have. And then in our short 20 months together, I've learned from and looked to take forward. And thank you for bringing me to the port. Like you brought me to the port just because of who you are. And I'm very happy to be here. And it was a challenge. I mean, I'm, I was replacing her job. And I'm, I've still got those shoes to fill. But thank you, Becca. Thank you, Josh. <coughs> Hi, Commissioners, Director Forbes. Um, I'm trying, I'll try not to get emotional here. Um, Jennifer G, Senior Property Manager for the Southern Waterfront. Um, as everyone says, Becca has a very charismatic, high energy personality. Um, it just makes you wanna work harder for her. Um, I've been really lucky here at the port. I've had a lot of um, exposure and the ability to work with some of the best leaders here in this organization. But uh, I will say Beck is very special in many ways. Um, not only is she extremely supportive and approachable, um, I can talk to her about almost anything, super positive. I had to write everything down because I felt like I was gonna get emotional and not remember everything. Um, I'm gonna miss you dearly. Thank you so much for all of your support and your leadership. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Phil Williamson from Fort Real Estate Staff. Thanks for the opportunity to say a few words about Becca today. Uh, like David, I've been fortunate to work with Becca in her days before she came to the port as a consultant to the port, um, dating back um, probably to the 1990s. I'm thinking Becca, but maybe maybe a little sooner than that. Um, but even then, she was helping to promote sound financial decisions with her astute analysis, uh, enabling port staff to effectively manage the waterfront. Having her then subsequently join our real estate team as a brilliant and energetic thinker and leader, Becca defines uh, to me what it means to serve the public with intelligence, wisdom, an open mind, and keen insight. Becca was a great boss, is a great boss. Her management style is collaborative, supportive, and confident, and very practical and infectious in her approach to dealing with issues and opportunities with a unique and customary zeal that we've all witnessed. Advice and direction from Becca was always well-founded and well-researched. Becca's passion for her work served to <coughs> encourage and support the rest of our team, and she will be sorely missed. All the best, Becca. Thanks for everything. Thank you, Bill. Would anyone else like to make a comment? Good afternoon, Commissioners, uh, President Brandon and Commissioners. My name is uh, Ricky Titani. I'm a waterfront development project manager 
working in the real estate and development division under Rebecca. Um, let me get my statement here. <laughs> One second. Um, all I could say is that I've been very, very fortunate to work with Rebecca. Uh, she's very, very spontaneous. Her ability and willingness to listen and work collaboratively with, with staff and our uh, private partners that we're working with. When she came to the port, Pier 70 was just going through that process, and I was amazed at her ability to comprehend. Now I, I now I now realize that she had been working on Pier 70 before she came, so she was able to really help us and guide us and, um, and put us through that. Uh, as you know, life is a series of stages. There's a beginning and there's a end. And here, the hand here, to me, I'm still in denial because when I heard that she was leaving, it's like, wait a minute, I've been here, you've only been here for, for 10 years just getting to know you, what's going on here? But nonetheless, life goes on, so I'm gonna wish you the very best. Uh, it's been wonderful working with you, and as everybody is saying, you probably will come back in one form or another to help the port. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. That's Thank you, Ricky. Would anyone else like to comment? Becca, you want to comment? <laughs> <laughs> this is like an open mic night at a wedding. Like this is so mortifying. And I, I have so much gratitude for things that everyone has said and people have been so wonderful to me when I provided this, I know, really disappointing news. And the one thing I have seen is looking around this room, every time someone leaves, somebody awesome steps forward. Um, so I have a lot of confidence that the team will, will manage. I wanted to reflect on a couple different things. Since I have your ear, um, I've been to, through two really different economic cycles during this time period, as you can imagine. I started and developers and tenants were beating down our door in 2016 and pushing us to the limit in terms of their desire to get projects going. We've turned 180 degrees and we are now the ones chasing people down and pressing them to sign a lease, renew a lease, pay back rent, um, get moving on various agreements. And I think what we're entering into, and I think we are doing it, but we have to do it even more, is sort of this posture of opportunism, like just take opportunities as they come. I have a, a little mental movie that I, I think Byron, Diane, David, and Brad really put into my brain when I first started. Of I can run up and down the waterfront, and I can imagine each site, 2016, 2017, 2018. And there are some incredible locations that as you look at them, they look so cared for by our port maintenance, by our tenants. They just look like they are the most precious locations in the world and they're gonna be here forever. There are other locations that as I run through that reel, they have been the same and uh, you know, not used, not productive, in some cases fenced off. And each time I look at one of those sites, I can imagine little asterisks over the years where we've tried to make changes. Some staff member, some enterprising business, somebody has come forward to try to make a change. And I reflect on each of the times we've been stymied. Sometimes we've been stymied by ourselves, by our procedures, by our um, community or political process, by us not having the time to walk people through what needs to be done in order to be successful here. And as I think of each of those moments, I've learned that every milestone we reach is, is one that meant we got over a whole lot of barriers to reach that milestone. And as we turn to this sort of opportunistic phase of us chasing um, opportunities down, I want us to think of each of those barriers and where we can reduce them 
Um, I, think of, I think of diffusing or directing the energy of partners who might come to us. If we can direct or diffuse their energy to be in San Francisco, to be in this incredible place, and we can do that where they're advancing something we want, they're improving our property, they're helping us with climate mitigation or resilience. They're helping us with our racial equity goals. If they can do any of those things, we got to work with them and move forward because we have so many great places that can be even better if we, um, if we use those great partnerships that we have today or that we'll have in the future. I've been really fortunate to see some changes. Um, I want to, I'm going to leave with a little quote, uh, basketball oriented, because all my fingers and toes are crossed for the Warriors and their challenge ahead. When I think of our work, I think of John Wooden, be quick, but don't hurry. Time is not on our side. We have to be quick with trying to improve our property and activate it, um, but we can't hurry because so, when we hurry, we miss something. And any one thing that's missed on our property could be the thing that knocks it over and we don't get the lease or we don't get the development. Any one thing could knock us off where we're going. So to my fellow port staff members, to the port commission, to our community members and the folks who watch the port and root for the port, if we rely on each other like we always do, we try to bring things to one another and try to identify any barriers keep doing that and you guys will be as successful as you have been and I'm super excited to watch you over the next year and I appreciate you all thank you thank you Becca thank you so much commissioners any comments Commissioner Gilman um, Rebecca I just wanted to say um, thank you so much I've worked with you now for almost five years and when I first came on you just had so much grace and patience um, for me particularly walking me through Pier 70 um, and Mission Rock in translating what I knew only from an affordable housing context into a commercial context and one where actually profit matters, which it does to us as an enterprise department. So I just wanted to thank you for your patience and your grace and you've built a very strong team and a legacy. And I wish you and your family nothing but health, happiness, um, and like me, learning five words in seven languages. <laughs> thank you. Commissioner Lee. Well, Rebecca, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of upset, actually, because, you know, when I met you and, and you know, part of the thing is we got to work with our tenants. And, and like you say, it's opportunity now. I remember when you got when we did the uh, um, little tour in Fisherman's Wharf there and you guys were appreciative of what we out there trying to think of some new out, out of the box ideas. And I think um, I could see it that you wanted the port to really um, prosper and and hearing you today which exactly how I feel about now we're here to give opportunity and be partners with our tenants and new people and not that you know I'm hoping that your staff is in the has the same uh, gut uh, feeling because no I, I lost a partner here I think <laughs> but anyway um, good luck to you because a person that worked so much as I I've never been to Europe so do it now while you can, especially with your family. Don't do it when I'm so old. <laughs> Good luck to you. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington? Just no, no chance to work with you yet, Becca, but your next adventure sounds so exciting. Have a wonderful time. <laughs> Becca. Oh, my God. I, I'm getting emotional, and I don't mm -hmm. know why. Probably because it's been 17 years that, you know, you have been working with the port in some fashion, and um, you have always just been so kind, so considerate, so knowledgeable, so bold and stern, 
but always with a smile on your face. And you have just created such a legacy here at the port. You've touched almost every project that we're st we've worked on and are still working on. And you do it with such grace. And you've built a great team. You've mentored so many people. And you are truly going to be missed. I know it's a wonderful opportunity. And I wish I had that opportunity. <laughs> but I do hope that when you return in one year, you think about us. You think about us really hard. We're really going to miss you. But thank you for everything that you've done. Oh, shoot. I forgot Vice President Adams. That's okay. <laughs> I like it like that. First, Rebecca. Um, I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. It's coming up Sunday, and I know what your family means to you. And in the words of the late Muhammad Ali, he says, service to others is the rent you pay for your room on earth. Clearly, you're a servant. And I can say that by your actions. And to have Mike Martin get up. Mike's a man, not of a lot of words, but of a lot of action. He got up and spoke. That speaks to who you are. Um, you have ushered in a new change in the port. And I know maybe today it seems like we're grieving or mourning or something like that. But I'm very happy for you because this is the first day of your life of a new experience. And you were meant to be here for this length of time in history and there's other things in life to experience because life is very, very short. But I want to say that your class, your poise, your understanding, goes without saying. You have a patience. Not everybody has that. And I have watched you push back on the commissioners. And that's a good thing because in your position, you catch it from all sides. But you were able to balance it. And not everyone can do that and have that. And you had a vision. I very seldom ever saw you raise your voice. You were always prepared when you came in here to make a presentation, whether it was the tenants, the developers, to the commissioners, you understood and you grasped all the questions and everything that was said. So I'm very happy for you. And it was the late Anthony Bourdain, who I really liked, that says that travel changes you. It leaves a mark on you. It makes you a better person. It embraces you. It helps you to grow. Um, you're one hell of a person, and this experience will even make you more of a person because a lot of people never get to travel. They, some people never even get to live the neighborhoods, leave the neighborhoods they've lived in. You're going to get a worldview of how it is outside of the port, outside of the United States and the world, and you'll come back a better person. And whether you come back to the port of San Francisco or not, you left so much behind and those of us that are still here, we will continue to push forward. And that's what leaders do. Leaders lead, and then when they have to leave, they're kind of like the wind. They move on, and someone else comes in. So thank you, and I know all the commissioners feel this way, but even the city and county, San Francisco, and everyone in this room, and even those that don't know you, we all owe you a debt of gratitude. Thank you so much for punching above your weight and giving us everything that you have in your tank. Thank you very much.
We're gonna miss you. Okay, is there any public comment in the room other than on Becca? <laughs> if not, we will go to the phone lines and see if there's any public comment. There are no public comment. There is no one on the phone wishing <laughs> oh, to make public comment. Thank you. Okay, public comment is closed. Commissioners, do you want um, Commissioner Gilman? Sure. Um, thank you, Director Forbes, for, for a great report. Um, and I'm very excited to partake in the Juneteenth celebrations. They've been such a watermark activating our beautiful plaza um, here. And thank you to Foodwise and the other nonprofits who, who helped make that happen. Um, you know, I did just want to sort of highlight two things that, that you mentioned in your report. And I know that we um, will, be, will be covering some of them, particularly uh, we have an informational item on our vacancies um, along um, the Northeast waterfront. Um, you know, being nimble um, in this time of day and really looking at how, I've said this before, how we utilize new and creative things, whether that's our pilot for using broker services um, or directly saying, um, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll hear more about that um, in the item that comes up. But um, it, it's just very important to me that we, we activate these spaces and we understand that we are at a time where we don't have people knocking down our doors. And um, our old way of doing business is incredibly labor intensive, both for staff um, and for applicants. As someone who has seen us issue um, RFPs for um, commercial restaurant um, and um, restaurant and beverage space, see people be awarded and then see those deals crumble and fall apart and be back at square one. Um, I really think um, gives me pause. So I'm excited for the item we're going to hear coming up, and I hope we look um, towards innovation and other ways um, for doing business. And then I did just also um, want to note um, that I stand with our statement um, that we hope that no one is displaced and that everyone currently living um, in temporary shelter at Pier 92 finds, finds a place to lay their head either temporarily or permanently. Um, but that is um, industrial land not meant for housing, not meant for long-term use. Um, and finding those individuals a home um, rests in our sister department, of the Department of Housing and Homelessness. And so while the peer can be an ally and we can support, I just feel compelled for the, you know, it is, it is the responsibility of that department to find those people a home. And we did a great service by stepping in during a worldwide pandemic to offer relief, just like we did testing sites and other things to help our city as a whole. Um, but now we need to get back to the business of the port maritime and the industrial uses, that is what we're for. So I just wanted to add that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. Um, and yes, Elaine, thank you very, very much for your report. If I could just echo what Commissioner Gilman has said, thank you for continuing to work with the, the folks on the homeless thing at, nine, at Pier 94. We need to find a solution. It's not all, the, it's not the port's solution to find by itself, but thank you for being able to be cooperative and, and patient and trying to work it through, I appreciate that. And also my appreciation for that next step that you're putting in for the Fisherman's Wharf unsolicited proposal. I think it will strengthen whatever we end up with, so I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Lee? Um, Aileen, I think um, doing what you did on the process, it's kind of going a different direction, and it helps a lot. It, it gives us kind of an opportunity to see what direction we have to go to a lot quicker. And I think as long as it's transparent and the public knows what we're trying to do, especially the leaders in City Hall, 
Uh, we're not trying to cheat anybody, but we want to make sure we move because time is always against us, right? So who knows, knock on wood, when the next earthquake, whatever. But it's, it's great that the staff has thought of different ways of trying to get the process through, and, and thank you so much for that. Um, I echo the rest of the commissioners on the, on the rest, but I'm looking forward to all the other informational stuff on Fisherman's Wharf. Thank you. Vice President Adams. Um, Director Forbes, uh, it's really nice to see that even the meetings and even your report, everything is kind of streamlined, and it seems like you and your team at the port are running on all cylinders. And as the other commissioner says about the homeless problem, I mean, we're not the only city. You look around Seattle, Portland, Sacramento, you look around, it's at our doorstep. And I know we're doing all that we can, but we are stepping up to our civil and social responsibility, doing the best we can. And then your report on, on the fishermen. I think that we're coming out of COVID in a way that the port is changing. And change is one of the hardest things that people have problems with because we like things how they are or how things used to be, but nothing ever stays the same. We don't grow unless we change, and change is sometimes painful. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's painstaking, and not everybody's going to be happy with it. But we need to worry about all those that are in favor of what we're doing, and I think we're in the majority of trying to do what's right for this port and uh, the city and county of San Francisco. So I, I like what you're doing. And then the equity piece, I know you've worked with that with President Brandon. You've been working on that, and it continues to get better and better uh, every time. And uh, as I said, I think now that you and your team are at your peak and you've hit the ground and we're in May already of 2023. We're gonna blink and we're gonna be in 2024. That's how fast time goes. So just wanted to say thank you and appreciate all the work to you and your team. I know it's over 200 some members on your team here at the port and uh, just keep, keep it moving. Thank you. Thank you. Um... Elaine, great report. Um, I also want to wish everyone a happy AAPI month. Um, regarding the Fishman's Wharf Soul Source, I'm glad that we're taking a step back, and I'm glad that we're following the Waterfront Land Use Plan recommendations and being more transparent and uh, about the process and making sure that you know it's a good project, or if not, we'll know that too. So I appreciate Commissioner Harrington asking us to take a step back and, and further evaluate uh, the sole source and Fisherman's Wharf. And that since we have such limited staff, we are focusing on things that we can do now in Fisherman's Wharf to activate, beautify, make it safe. So I, I really appreciate the staff's direction at this point. I think it's uh, wonderful what's going on at Pier 70 and Building 12. It's great to see Pier 70 coming alive, and hopefully we can get uh, Pier 70 back on track and more buildings will be uh, opening up soon. Um, I, uh, I wish Team USA better luck <laughs> next time, but I'm so happy about all the people that, that the, this event has brought to the waterfront, and uh, I'm sure it was an amazing weekend for so many people. 
I've attended the Juneteenth at the Plaza for the last two years, and it's always a great event, and the vendors always sell out. So if you're going to go, get there early, because they really sell out. They have great food. Um, and uh, it's not surprising that we are a leader in the, in the resilience effort, and um, we'll be able to offer so many other communities and states, you know, help and recommendations because we're so far ahead because of our great staff that uh, started on this five, six years ago and knew that it was something that we really had to focus on. So I, I think it's phenomenal that we're recognized as a leader and that um, our efforts are so valuable to so many. I want to congratulate David and the team on moving the Pier 3032 legislation forward on your birthday. Congratulations and belated happy birthday. <laughs> we have a lot going on here. And regarding Pier 94, um, I, I do think that we need to work with HSH um, to make sure that these residents are not displaced and they do have some type of housing um, and, and I look forward to them coming back to us with a complete plan of how that will happen. And it would also be great if you could share the Board of Supervisors resolution with us so that we're aware of um, what they're asking. But I agree, uh, we do need to support HSH and in helping them come up with uh, uh, options for these residents to not be displaced. So again, Elaine, thank you for your report. Jenica, next item, please. Item seven is the consent calendar. For callers who wish to make public comment on the consent calendar, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Item seven A, requests approval of a resolution consenting to an interagency cooperation agreement with Transbay Joint Powers Authority regarding Port Staff's work program and reimbursement of ports costs related to phase two of the Transbay program. That's resolution 2323. Item 7B, requests approval of a proposed license 17036 with GSW Arena LLC, a Delaware limited liability company, for three separate white zone curb spaces totaling approximately 624 linear feet, two separate yellow zone curb spaces totaling approximately 337 linear feet, and 80 metered parking spaces on game and special event dates located in and around Chase Center for a term of 10 years with two five-year options to extend, subject to Board of Supervisors approval. That is resolution 2324. Thank you. Commissioners, is there a motion? So moved. Second. Is there any public comment on this item? Seeing that, Monica, do we have anyone on the phone? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? The motion passes unanimously. Resolutions 2323 and 2324 are adopted. Jenica, next item, please. The next item is item 8A, which is an informational presentation regarding proposed award of a sole source grant to the Fisherman's Wharf Association of San Francisco, also known as the Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefits District, and waiver of port license fees to create a safe and vibrant Fisherman's Wharf. And for callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. 
Good afternoon, President Brandon, Commissioners, Executive Director Forbes. I'm Megan Wallace, the Ports Economic Recovery Manager. Um, today I'll be presenting alongside Amy Cohen, our new Business Generation Manager. Um, and we also have uh, Randall Scott from the Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefit District will be saying a few words. And Elizabeth uh, Alexander Toot from uh, the from our contracts team is here as well in case there are any questions about the grants process. So before I get into the details of the grant, I just want to speak for a moment about my role as economic recovery manager, which really has a pretty broad scope, um, thinking about how can we take on initiatives that will help our business lines, particularly in real estate and maritime recovery, for, recover from the economic impacts of the pandemic, um, as well as grow uh, for the long-term financial benefit of the port. Um, and, but I am also looking at internal operations, how can we streamline um, how we work as a port staff to be happier and more effective in our work? Am I not on? Sound great, a little close. Wonderful. <laughs> See, what are we gonna do without Ms. Benetton? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm both looking at our business operations uh, internally as well as expanding our business lines. Um, but one of the first things that really stood out for me when I first came back on, on board with the port in November was really the fact that Fisherman's Wharf is a very active place that needs some love right now. Um, between talking to our maritime teams about expanding off the boat fishing to looking at our vacant facilities to um, development proposals and resilience initiatives. We're doing both near and long-term planning. Um, but this item before you today really is to get the wheels turning on our near-term work, which really does need to start now, um, and it will buy us some time as we do that longer-term work, um, particularly for development and resilience. So what is the item? Um, to begin, uh, we are seeking, uh, first as an informational, and then we'll be back in June for um, a request to award a $2,188,446 sole source grant to the Fisherman's Community Benefit, Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefit District. Um, these funds would be expended over two years. Um, and as part of the proposal, we are seeking a waiver of port fees um, on activities that would be implemented through the grant really so that port funds wouldn't be spent on fees then collected by the port. So that way the funds can be really put to non-port uses. Um, in terms of the grant scope, uh, we are looking for um, a, a program that develops and implements a multifaceted public space activation and stewardship program. So that gets the, the, the clean and safe beautification, events, food, music, um, you know, all in Fisherman's Wharf, really with a focus of rebuilding a durable visitor base, supporting our current tenants, and trying to attract future tenants. Um, and the funding source for this grant will be federal stimulus dollars, um, as awarded in 2021. Um, the program budget will fall under the attraction and retention project, which is really perfect uh, for this line of work, which really is focused on supporting our tenants um, and rebuilding the port's revenue base. So what really got us here? It wasn't that I showed up and like, yes, Fisherman's Wharf, there's a lot, you know, of course, that's where we need to spend our money. No, we actually saw data that pointed us very clearly in this direction. And it started first by looking at pre-pandemic information 
and comparing it with where we stand today. And it's very clear that there are differences. Um, you know, Fisherman's Wharf historically has been one of the top destinations in California where 65% of visitor to, visitors to San Francisco come to Fisherman's Wharf. And that was about 16 million people annually um, in 2018. Um, clearly high revenue generation, both for restaurants as well as in hotels very high job support system, 8,300 jobs just in Fisherman's Wharf, directly or indirectly, um, at port, port facilities, port, uh, port spaces. Um, and then, of course, with our fishing community, we had 185 active vessels as well as uh, commercial fishing production facilities. If you look today, you start to see a lot of that foot tra traffic returning, but it's not at the numbers that it had been. It was, um, we're estimating about 80% of visitors have returned to Fisherman's Wharf. Um, but unfortunately, we're seeing that it's not the same environment that it had been. Um, the chart on the left, albeit a little bit small, I do apologize for that, but the main thing I want to highlight, circled in red, um, is that of all the businesses on port property all along the waterfront, Fisherman's Wharf full-service restaurants are far behind in recovery compared to everywhere else and other business lines for the port. Um, and that's really driven by six closed restaurants, three of which are in port control. The other three continue to be with our tenants but aren't operating fully. And so the reality is that we're just not generating the same level of revenue that we had been pre-pandemic. Um, also talking with tenants and other visitors in the area, um, you know, we know that facilities aren't in the condition, um, I apologize, the, the last point, <laughs> the tenants are citing poor business conditions. Um, you know, we are, we all know we're struggling to address illegal vending. We are taking it on, um, but it continues to be a challenge. Um, and also um, just trying to do things to beautify the conditions and make it welcoming for tenants. Um, and in terms of seeking new tenants, um, we know that we do need to invest in our facilities, that they vary in their conditions. Um, and some of our biggest sites, such as Aliotos, um, would require the greatest amount of investment in order to retenant that space. So we know that the port is engaged with long-term uh, you know, investments and conversations with uh, potential development partners. Um, we're also working on strategies for leasing our facilities, um, as staff will present in the next item. Um, but it'll take time to get through all of that work. And we know that there are um, needs now. Um, and so staff took time to do some groundwork. We walked the halls, so to speak, uh, but we walked the grounds um, of Fisherman's Wharf, both outside visiting um, you know, spaces, um, you know, along the waterfront and outdoor spaces to walking through stores and restaurants um, and talking with a variety of partners from Pier 39 to the CBD um, to, um, you know, all of our tenants and port staff. And um, they gave us a lot of really good insights about what steps we might take. And some very common themes um, that we found were really make the wharf safer. You know, I mentioned about illegal vending, um, but there are homeless needs out on the street. There, there are people who need additional support. Um, port staff, particularly maintenance, does their best to keep the wharf clean and safe, um, but they do need some additional support. And then making it more vibrant, thinking about in front of vacant restaurants, 
and sites, um, ideas of music and additional food, things to really make it more vibrant and fun, trying to create a space that can connect people um, to the waterfront, uh, not just on the land side, but particularly on the water side, uh, really celebrating um, our, our fishing uh, culture and community. Um, and then thinking about rebuilding our hometown visitor base, that if we're really going to recover and restore um, along the waterfront and in San Francisco, we need to build upon that hometown base, base and make people want to come down to the wharf. Um, but the reality is that in order to move all of this forward, um, we need more support than just what staff can provide. Um, we're a lean, mean group. We do our best, but also one of the best ways for us to deliver um, on our work is to look around and find competent partners who are experienced in this type of work. Um, and as I've described, there's a wide range of different types of needs from keeping places clean and safe, helping visitors in the area, to putting on events. Um, and it's really hard to find a particular partner who can do all of those things. Um, but what we found in looking around is that we think we actually did find a really good partner in that work. And that's where staff has come to this conclusion of recommending a grant to the Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefit District to be able to deliver um, and support this effort. And I apologize, dropped my pen. And with that, I'm going to hand it over uh, to Ms. Cohen. Hi, good afternoon, commissioners. It's my first time. I just came to the port in January. I know a couple of you. I haven't met some of you. Um, I'll be quick. Um, I was at OEWD for more than 15 years, and I kind of do specialize in the opportunism that um, was discussed by Becca. I'm sad to see her go since I have barely gotten all the wisdom, but I'm, I'm working on it. Um, the ideal partner when you're working in a neighborhood that needs help is who knows the most and who cares the most. And my experience in government working in either buildings or blocks or neighborhoods that need help is go find those people really quickly. Um, and the community benefit districts are not only who know the most and care the most, but they also have capacity to partner with the city and to work with us on even the smallest things, which you guys know are super complicated. So, um, you know, that's why I reached out to the CBD. There's a little bit of a history. Um, the port had a business-based community benefit district that dissolved um, in 2020. Uh, so our proposal on the table is to work with them um, because we share the same vision for Fisherman's Wharf and everything you just heard from Megan, really. Um, the CBD provides cleaning and safety services. They provide beautification. They do a lot of marketing, and they would like to do more, um, and they would be happy to do it on the port side. Um, so that's what we're proposing. Um, it's a really robust scope of work. Um, it's a two-year program. The idea is to... Um, start with um, cleaning, safety related items, but it's really using their unique service of community ambassadors. It's not duplicating port staff. It's really having folks who are in uniform with eyes and ears who can go spot and respond to issues they see in the public realm. That's one of the biggest challenges right now, especially with vacant storefronts. So those um, ambassadors will be on the port side seven days a week with this grant. They'll even go down to Pier 27 from uh, the wharf um, five days a week. 
They will also provide some bathroom monitoring, which is something that I think would really help us um, with visitors and locals. The items that are best to refer to port staff, that's what they'll do. Large trash dumping, uh, you know, painting jobs, repairs, et cetera. So again, there's not duplication. Um, in addition, the CBD is going to initiate some work that nobody's been doing around beautification. Um, so you're going to see um, hanging flower baskets that are made of artificial um, silk, but they are gonna be beautiful. They're gonna be maintainable. Um, it, trust me, we're gonna try it. Um, nobody except for uh, our neighbor Pier 3 and 5 has hanging flower baskets in San Francisco at this point, so it's bold. Um, there's going to be <laughs> string lighting, murals on boarded up storefronts, decorative wraps on the big bellies, etc. Um, and I think the most exciting is really the outdoor events, and we're going to start by doing it in front of the closed aliotas because it's a big gaping hole. It's the first thing people see. And so how do you create a kind of seamless, singular visitor experience on Restaurant Row? You start by activating that space and working with all the neighbors. And the goal is really to support those businesses. So the idea to start with will be a Friday afternoon happy hour kind of time with appetizer and drinks, but that will not compete with dinner. It'll help bring people in, send them to dinner. Um, and the goal of that um, is to ultimately bring in pop-up chefs um, or people who do uh, performing or art projects um, and who might be able to bring their communities with them and draw locals. So um, this is the budget. Um, again, it's a two-year work program. It's a little bit bigger in the beginning. It ramps down in the second year. Um, as a requirement of the grant, the CBD will provide quarterly programmatic and financial reports to the staff at the port. Uh, we'll monitor their work really closely. This is going to be a major part of my work plan. Um, and any grant or contract we have, um, we have the right to terminate if it's not going well. But I believe it will go well. And I am offering to provide um, progress reports to the Port Commission twice a year. Um, so um, with that said, this is um, just a summary of the item. Uh, our intention is to start work as soon as possible this summer. It's practically summer. Um, so we'll return on June 13th with the action item. Um, thank you for the opportunity to present. And I would just like to invite Randall Scott up here for a few minutes. Um, he's the executive director of Fisherman's Wharf CBD. And I'd like him to say a few words. And thanks to him and his team for coming today. Thank you, Amy and Megan. President Brandon, Vice President Adams, Commissioners, Director Forbes, uh, thank you for this opportunity and big thanks to uh, Amy and the team to work with us in putting this together and seeing the need of Fisherman's Wharf and how this can positively impact the neighborhood. It's something that, you know, in my uh, 10 years working in CBDs around the city, it is something that we do really well. So it's I know, I know it'll have a positive impact, and the beauty of what we do is we can pivot on a dime and to address the changing needs of what we interface with out in port property. So if we find that something is not having the impact we want, we can easily use those same you know, ambassadors in a, in a similar capacity 
to still meet the terms of the grant, but also meet the terms of what we're supposed to do. So I look forward to uh, the opportunity to work with you, and I'm also available if you guys have any questions. Thank you. We really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. I just wanted to come up and say thank you so much, commissioners. That does conclude our presentation, and we look forward to your questions and feedback. Thank you. Informational. Okay. I would like to open it up to public comment. Is um, Tom Creedon? This is the item you want to comment on, right, Tom? Excuse me, I don't hear. <laughs> uh, commissioners, uh, my name is Tom Credence with Scoma's Restaurant. I've been there forever, it seems. And uh, I was a, an original uh, player in creating the CBD. Uh, we, we had terrific success, I think, at the beginning. Uh, unfortunately, when it came time to renew, uh, some of the port side people voted out because they weren't happy with what they were supposed to be getting. Uh, it's kind of bothers me a little bit that uh, uh, the CBD is chosen to administrate this uh, grant when uh, the, the side that's going to supposed to benefit is the port side. Uh, I've spoken to a couple of the other uh, tenants who didn't bother to come down. Paul Caporo, you're lucky. He's going to, to uh, Italy tomorrow and he couldn't make it. But I think that it's re really important that uh, this is handled the right way. It's, uh, it was, I'm so disappointed in the Alioto family for leaving. Uh, the place has fallen apart. Uh, we're in a war zone. Uh, even though it looks like people are coming, uh, walking up and down the streets, but the people that walk up and down the streets don't bring a a family of uh, three kids and come in and sit down at Skomas. For, it's just they can't afford it. Uh, we have fortunately uh, supported, we've been supported by people that have been coming for years. People come from across the country and can't wait to get to Skomas. We try to keep things going. We're, we're hanging on by our fingernails and keep hoping that things will pick up. We're hoping that this summer, but, and I think it's great that there's an opportunity to spend some money on, at Fishman's Wharf. I'm just not sure that the CBD is, are the right entity to uh, handle that. And I'm sure that you've looked into it uh, deeply, but I thought you, you should hear my feelings anyway. Uh, I think that uh, about now, I should try to get out and beat the commute across the bridge. I hate coming to the city, but I, I usually leave early. See, I made the buzzer. 
Thank you, Thank Tom. you very much. Thank you. Is there any other public comment on this item? Monica, do we have anyone on the phone? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you, Monica. Public comment is now closed. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. Um, could I ask a question based on that last comment? I'm assuming that this work will benefit everyone there, not just land side, port side. Can you comment on that? Um, yes. So um, it, the focus will be in actually creating uh, investments on the port side. Currently, the CBD manages the land side, and there's uh, clean and safe, and um, you know, efforts with the ambassadors program, some beautification, um, and marketing, um, but. These funds are port dollars that will be creating um, investments on the water side. It does support the entire CBD in the sense that the, the water side is a primary attraction for, for folks who go into Fisherman's Wharf and would cross the street and go walk around on the land side. Um, but really, um, the, the events will be taking place on the water side, the beautification will be on the water side. Um, so, yes, it, it holistically benefits the entire neighborhood, but these investments will be directly made um, to port properties. That's great. Thank you. Um, I think this is great. I think it's a, a very good use of ARPA money. seems like that's what ARPA was, was designed to do. The idea that we want it to be done, it's urgent, uh, kind of, and, and you have a, a, an existing partner already you can work with, kind of does all, ticks off the boxes for me in terms of a sole source kind of discussion, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, my one suggestion is that you have a budget there. I would hope that the grant is flexible enough that you can move the budget around without having a lot of rigmarole, either from year to year or from line to line to make sure you get need the, what needs to be done. That would be great. Yes, uh, we do anticipate um, monitoring the budget closely, but trying to be flexible if we do find that we don't need as much funding for one category versus another, that we would want to be flexible with the uses. That's great. And, and um, Madam President, what I have seen in some other commissions, I, I, I enjoy the deliberative process we have here, where you have an information item, then the next month you have a, an action item. Um, other commissions try to combine those at times if they want to. And so if there's something like this that we think is rather urgent, um, what we used to do in another commission I was on, we, we would put in, an, and the, the item would say, information and possible action. And that would give you the opportunity, should there be agreement, to make the decision that day. But if not, you can have your, your month to have other questions answered or other changes made. But you might want to consider that in the future as you look at different items that we have before us. Great recommendation. Thank you. Thanks. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you. I'm very supportive of this item and aligned with um, Commissioner Harrington's comments. I just actually had a couple of suggestions um, based, based off um, one is someone who, start, who started a CBD on Broadway and was on the Union Square one as a board member and lives next to the wharf. So I'm there. So these are just more suggestions for, for um, Randall and for the administration of the grant. Um, one is I would hope with the pop-up activation parts that we're going to do and trying to drive people, particularly as an example, what you talked about doing with the happy hour, um, that there be wide advertising both in, I, I think it's still published, the Marina Times, but through the North Beach Neighborhood Association, Barbary Coast, et cetera. You're shaking your head. So I just want to make sure that we're driving locals to those events because I will just say as someone who's lived in North Beach for over 20 years, 
unless you have friends like I do who live and work and make their living on the wharf, you don't think to go there, mm -hmm. right? You think to go to Grant and Green. So I, I just want, if we're doing these activations, they need to be more than just for tourists. They need to be for locals to drive them to um, down um, there. I'm wondering how will these activities be matched with the work that's already being done by the Community Benefit District? Will you be leveraging those resources? Could you maybe, Randall, talk a little bit about that? Uh, so uh, to your point on the first point, uh, I was at North Beach Neighbors last night uh, speaking to their group about, you know, getting excitement, building, you know, we're, we've, we're already doing some groundwork on this, hoping that, that you guys approve it. Um, and as far as for uh, second question. Oh, how are you going to leverage the activities you already do through the um, self-assessment revenue that you generate with these activities? So the, the idea behind this, we don't do a lot of activities. We do Warfest um, in the past, but that, because there's very few chowder producers, um, now we're looking to pivot and doing something else. And we, that was a ticketed event. We're trying to do all public events to, to draw more and hopefully through the pop-ups generate enough revenue to cover expansion of those going forward. So um, we don't currently have a activations, uh, too many activations at the wharf other than um, like the band from Vegas that came down, uh, the high school band from Vegas who wanted to do the Crab, Crab Wheel Plaza. And we have a choir that's going to play in June 9th at the Crab Wheel Plaza. So those are more opportunistic. This, this is actual programming. So we're actually going to program events, different music genres, R&B, um, jazz, salsa, pop. So we're, we're looking to appeal to a wide variety of people um, and cultures within the city and county of San Francisco. Those are our target market. The, uh, the tourists who come down, we, we're going to get anyway because they're going to pass by, they're going to hear the music, they're going to see it, they're going to partake. But the, the local market is what we're really after. So through, these, through the social media, print, radio, TV, we're, we're going to hit all the channels and all age groups because, you know, if you want to do the millennials, you don't advertise on TV. If you, if you want our generation, you advertise on TV. So that's what we're looking at. Does that make sense? So we, we're not, all of this, all of these funds are port side. So all these activities are port side. We don't currently run any activations. We are looking at closing Beach Street and activating that space. Okay. Um, but that's, that's the idea is to pull people up and down. Yeah, and, and I apologize. I'll, may I reword my question? Well, I guess what I was trying to figure out is, regardless of this grant, the Community mm -hmm. Benefit District has a set of activities it does. Community ambassadors, trash cleanup, I'm assuming you do all of that. How does this, sorry, leverage those existing services for expansion and more sorry. impact? I apologize. I, I probably didn't phrase my question It's well. okay. I, I heard activities. I'm thinking programming. So not a problem. It, it's literally... We're going to, it's all the funding and activities, all the staff that we're talking about hiring through the grant will be dedicated to the port side because we already got the land side covered. Okay. So there'll, there'll be no overlap. So when the Beach Street programming and, and activating Beach Street, that's on land side. Those will come out of very dedicated um, accounting for the, for the land side. So as you know, we're, we're overseen by GAO, um, the GAO at the Board of Soups. So our, our books have to be tight. This will also trigger an audit, and we will 
supply that audit at, uh, at the end of the first year and the second year. So there'll be 100% accounting, <laughs> exactly how these dollars are spent. But yeah, it's literally two sides of the same, of a coin. So, so this grant's enabling you, sorry, to, get yeah. to duplicate all the successes you're having on the land side and bring them to the work side. Because cool. you already do these activities. Correct. That was my, the core of my question. That, so you already have ambassadors, you already have all these things, and now you just get to bring them to that side. Correct. Okay. Yeah. We're going to bring the land side services to the port side. <laughs> okay. Um, and then my only other suggestion for staff, just due to the public comment, is um, I know this is a two-year contract. It would be great maybe six or nine months in, whatever is appropriate, because I'd love to actually have some wins, for, maybe do an informational report back so we can just see, or maybe some sort of satisfaction survey to ensure that the folks that um, have some skepticism that we're proving them wrong and really helping to activate um, their, their sites was my, was my only other suggestion. Um, and in that vein, I'd be happy to see this come back on consent calendar because I'm fully supportive. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Lee. Uh, well, well, you know what Fisherman's Wharf uh, relied on was tourism, as is Chinatown. And I don't want to compare the two, but Chinatown, you know, basically were way at the bottom. And the only way that we came together was the restaurant owners and the property owners. And, and a lot of them don't live in San Francisco, you know, because they, they're retired or and their family members are now taking over. And here's an opportunity now. You're getting a couple million dollars uh, to promote the wharf. But as mentioned in the public comment, you know, whether the CBD has you know, proven track record to uh, make sure this money's spent right. What I, what I encourage is that the um, restaurant owners that are invested is to bring their family members who are still interested in keeping their legacy alive to um, help participate. And also there has to be somebody in the CBD side, whether you recruit younger people, because you know, TV and everything is not only TV, there's social media, Instagram, Facebook, where you want to get, where you're going to be having these concerts or these events to bring in the, the locals. Because we decided uh, in Chinatown that we're not relying on tourism anymore. We have to rely on people of the residents of San Francisco to come back and start eating at the port, I mean, at, the, at Fisherman's Wharf, or in, even in Chinatown, whether it's parking, whether it's safety, and everybody has to participate. Just because you're getting the money doesn't mean that you'll spend it right. And I think a lot of the criticism is, is whether or not this grant will be spent properly. And I think the only way that you would know to do that is the people that are invested, the merchants, the long-term uh, people that have been working there, is really steps it up and control this money. Otherwise, you won't get this opportunity again. I'm all in support of because uh, I'm sure Amy, you know, worked on OEWD and she's been working with Chinatown and it's the same thing that was going on when the pandemic first hit because we were the first ones that went down. Um, so she's bringing that expertise and that funding and the same models as that OEWD was using for Chinatown is now coming to Fisherman's Wharf and now the merchants of Fisherman's Wharf 
have an opportunity now to take this grant and do something good with it. Because who knows when tourism's gonna really fully recover. We gotta get the people from Sunset, the people that used to come and eat at Skoma's to start you know, parking their cars there or buying crab at the pier. Because that's the only way that you're gonna survive, even two million, four million. If you don't get kind of invested in your community, it's not gonna work. But I support this, and again, I hope the CBD will step it up, uh, you know, because I think uh, regardless of, like he said, they've been doing some things, but here's an opportunity you're gonna be able to do more, but you need to get the younger generation involved to help you. Okay, but I support this item too when it comes back to us. Thank you, Vice President Adams. Steve was on point there. I mean, he's totally on point because if you really think about it, it's going to be either 2024 or 2025 before tourism comes back. We got to get the locals. And you know what? I'm going to just be honest and I'll just say it. The city, and they have a perception of PR problem. People think it's not safe, it's too expensive. And when you got a PR problem, you got to correct it. And that's the perception about San Francisco now that it's not safe, it's expensive. And that's the problem. And with the homeless thing, and so people see in their brain, especially the younger generation, because they talk about these things and everything else, right? And where they want to be. And so I'm with Steve on that. You, we got to think out of the box. You shouldn't even think in a box. It shouldn't be a box at all. I'm with Steve on that. And I think we have to look at that to get the locals, but there's a PR problem and a perception, and I, I'll support this, but I don't see anything in there about PR or projection, how we change the image. And that's, we live in a world, everything's about image and perception, and that's missing. So, you know, sometimes we, the one thing I like about this commission, we can beat everything up, and I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything. We, there's, there's some work that's gotta be done, I'll support the grant, but the perception of San Francisco, and like I say, down there, that it's, it's expensive, it's not safe, and how do we change the perception that people can see that? Because right now you have about 20 to 30 seconds right now to catch people's attention just like that. That young lady shaking her head. They don't want to hear anything three, four, five minutes. It's like that right now. So I'm with you, Steve, on that. Thank you, Commissioner Rebecca Benestini. I wanted to mention one item. Many of us now attend the monthly CBD board meeting. The port has a seat, a non-voting seat. And one thing I will note, some of the folks who didn't get a chance to speak are some of Randall's staff members who do track social media postings, um, traffic on their website, as well as foot traffic in the wharf. And they can segment that information by place of residence. I remember correctly, and it was—it's very fascinating to go to their meetings because we don't have—we don't have that sort of thing. We don't have that sort of data here. They use Pier 39 tracking as well as tracking at Fisherman's Wharf, so we have a lot of information, and it'll be really great um, through their data sources to have that sort of baseline information. And then as we go through this grant process, you know, what are we seeing in terms of event attendance? So I think we really will have the capability to report back as we come back, like what what is the grant achieved and how are we seeing any additional traffic, um, either in person or just traffic on Instagram, their Facebook posts, postings as well as their website. So I definitely think we can have that capability and it's something that we don't have on staff. So I'm, Amy and Megan, please correct or let me know if there's anything else we wanna say about that, but I think we've definitely thought about marketing and we maybe can highlight it even further when we do the action item. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Vice President Adams would like to hear from one of the young staff members. <laughs> Thank you for coming up. Hi, um, my name is Caitlin Thresher. I'm currently the digital marketing manager for Fisherman's Wharf, but I have a background in events and marketing. Um, I actually met Randall in New York for the International Downtown Association Emerging Leadership Fellowship Program that I was in last year. Um, and I was living in Mesa, Arizona for Downtown Mesa and he recruited me. Um, I think because he saw the value in having someone that is under a certain age bracket <laughs> in working on the social media. So um, yes, I am Generation Z, so I do, I do meet that requirement as well. <laughs> Yes, I do have a master's as well. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank but you. I was, I was going to ask you a question. Okay. Yeah. And I want to follow up. Okay. <laughs> but it is about perception, right? Mm -hmm. And the perception, and we have to change that, right? Yes, absolutely. San Francisco does have a perception problem. Um, I'm entirely aware of that. My entire family is aware of that. Like I said, I think part of the reason that Randall hired me was because I did almost come in looking at San Francisco as a tourist. Um, and looking at the wharf like a tourist. So when I came in to develop a social media strategy, you know, I was looking around like what catches my eye the same way that a tourist would. So, yeah, it does have a perception problem. That's very, very fair. But I think we can do a lot to change that. Um, Cecile is really great with PR. She has a background of 15 years in tech PR. So she is great at that. I can handle all the social media. I think we really do have the staff for the marketing, especially, so. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Lee? So, uh, what's your, okay, forget the, you know, <laughs> the, you know the, the marketing PR stuff. Mm -hmm. You as a person, as yeah. a young person, what kind of experience would you want when you come to, to the port, to Fisherman's Wharf? What do you think your generation is interested in? You know, we have a lot of these little museums and things mm -hmm. like that, but does that really turn on people and, Generation Z, you know, <laughs> is it more of the food, restaurants, you know, what do you think? I think it's all about experience now. So, um, <clears throat> for instance, Musée Mécanique, it doesn't seem like something that's going to appeal to younger people, but it's so fun. Um, you know, you spend, what, 20 bucks and you get to play 40 different games and it's about how you spend your time. It's about going to Umbrella Alley and taking selfies. Um, it's about being able to share your experiences after you've had them. You know, my generation doesn't necessarily want to go and sit down at a nice restaurant. I mean, I would, but you know, it, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for fast, like fast food, um, counter service, and then we want to go outside and we want to look at the water and we want to look at the sea lions and we want to go experience actually the wharf and go on a boat, something like that. So it's about the experience a thousand percent. Great, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Any more questions? Nope. Thank you. Thank right you. Here. Right exactly what, I'm, what Thank we you. should be focusing on. Thank you. Thank you. Grants okay. on top of it. I think Kaylee should stay for an interview after the right. <laughs> uh, Again, thank you for the presentation. I think a lot of my questions have been answered, but I do want to know why our tenants opted out of the CBD in 2020. I can give a, I can give an answer. I um, 
my understanding is they were not happy with the services and they felt that the investment was not um, was not uh, equal to what they were getting back. Um, and there was a vote out. It was unfortunately right in the COVID time. Um, so losing that revenue source and ability to deliver services put, put um, that hardship onto the port. And so, you know, we've been doing extra cleaning. Um, we've been very, very active with our, all of our crews, as you know, have been spending a lot of time in the port. Uh, but that's my understanding of why uh, folks voted out. And um, we do plan to monitor the grant carefully. We do want to come back to commission with a report on how it's going. And we do want to make sure, I think one commissioner said, to prove the, the, the commenter wrong, that we are achieving results through this, through this grant. Um, so we will be carefully monitoring that. And in terms of the, the media and the communications, uh, we'll, for the uh, actual uh, uh, approval item, we'll be sure to highlight what we plan to do because the wharf is far cleaner and vibrant and more exciting uh, than you might hear in the media. And we don't want our perception to be different from what's real on the ground. And so how will this grant change what happened in 2020? Could you explain a little more? What do you mean? Meaning, what will be different? Meaning, it, um, our tenants weren't happy with services provided. So with this grant, what are we providing that will be different that our tenants will be happy with? Very, um, think, thinking about this, I mean, I think what's different is we have Amy and Megan in a way that the CBD previously, our seat was li a listening seat, not a voting seat um, on this, how the CD, CBD operated. In this case, it is our resources. We have a direct claim in terms of making sure those resources go to what we need them to go to. Um, and I think that having Amy, a very experienced grant administrator on board to work with the CBD and have those weekly meetings with them, those progress reports, and then have that feedback. Prior to this meeting, um, Amy, Megan, Don, Sev Gabe, several of our staff members made sure that we made phone calls to all of all of our tenants in the area, all of the interested parties that we think would be interested in this item to let them know it was going forward. So that feedback loop that we're really dedicated to provide, I think will be the difference. When the CBD was on the port side, that wasn't really how we saw our role. Our tenants were paying that tax themselves. They could give the feedback they wanted to the CBD. And so our role was really just to monitor and you know make sure that we were coordinating services with them. I think we're in a really different position as the grantor. Okay, can I ask, what is, what is the CBD's annual budget? It's uh, 1.3. Okay. Their annual budget is 1.3 million for the record. Thank you. And um, this is also asking us to suspend fees or waive fees. And what, what fees are those and, and what does that equate to? Thank you. So the, so the grant requires them to put on events. Typically when uh, entities put on events on our sidewalk space or, for example, at the Crab Wheel Plaza, they would pay to have that event. In this case, since we're funding them through the grant, we, when we come back in the action item, will waive those special event fees that we would normally charge for a performance or a pop-up event outdoors. So it's just special event fees? It's special events, and I want to clarify, outdoors and potentially indoors. If there's an opportunity for a special event to occur outside of Aliotos and they need space, they need electricity, they need water, they need some storage space inside, we want to waive those fees as well. We would normally charge a storage fee um, to them. So that would be the fee waiver that would come back to you next time. Okay. But uh, only events under, you know, that are administered under the grant. 
Okay. Okay. Well, I look forward to this coming back, and, and I do look forward to the um, six-month reporting, and I think at, after um, a, at the year point, we probably need to really uh, evaluate if this is doing what we want it to do and making sure that, that, that our tenants are getting the support that they need and that our, open, our spaces are beautified in some way and um, there's, the wharf is much safer. So thank, thank you. you. I look forward to, I have oh, a question. Commissioner <laughs> Lee and then Commissioner Gilman. <laughs> so um, will we be able to see a programming report? Like what do you have planned? Like is there going to be like this outdoor concert or is there going to be, you know, what do you, what do you guys been doing in the next six months? You know, here, here's another thing kind of separate. Uh, you know, there's 110 cruise ships coming in. That's a big, that's a big thing for Fisherman's Wharf. And if you don't take advantage of that, you know, that's, you guys are really missing out. 3,500 passengers, a thousand workers. That's three hundred and that's what three hundred eighty-five thousand people coming to the to the port. Mm -hmm. So you can't blame the port for not supplying the people. So really, up to the CBD and up to the to the merchants of Fisherman's Wharf to really embrace that now. I forgot that part of the scope of work. <laughs> we actually have some funding for outdoor events outside of our little dilapidated building on Pier Twenty Seven called the Beltline Building. And we will try to do pop-up coffee, like mobile coffee, flowers, gifts, et cetera, with this CBD on cruise days. And they would have a, an ambassador parked there directing people down toward uh, Fisherman's Wharf. So that's one answer. Um, in terms of um, a report on programming, are you talking about what will you get to see after the fact? Like, what are we asking them to give to us? to document or are you asking, no. will you find out beforehand so you I can go? I kind of like to know how you're planning this, you know? <laughs> we have, uh, the grant is set up with deliverables and the first couple of deliverables are like, send us all your plans, all yeah, your dates, right. all the themes, etc. I wasn't planning to come to you with every single deliverable, no, 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 I but just, we'll have that. Yeah, we'll like a single that. sheet. I mean, I mean, you're, you guys are great on reports. I mean, <laughs> all the neighborhoods are doing quite well, except for Fisherman's Wharf. But, you know, it's kind of nice to, just to see what you guys have planned. Yeah. And we can also, well, I can, sh you know, share those activities to our, our network of people. You'll be on the, the distribution list for, on Caitlin's Instagram list. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was actually just a suggestion, a similar line. Um, believe it or not, despite his vintage, Commissioner Lee has quite a social media following. And um, I think um, it would be great if there could be a calendar published. Um, and this goes just beyond this, too. I think this is a little transgenital to all port events. Foodwise is doing great now, letting us know about events. But we all have networks. We all have people. We all have associations that we're part of. Um, we, we have, you know, a union hall right at the foot of, um, of, of Fisherman's War. So it just would be great if we could get advance notice so we can help push out these events, mm -hmm. these things, or ourselves attend them um, in, in advance was what I was going on. I would also hope, um, Amy, and I know you're, you're new to this department, but we all know your fabulous, fabulous work at OEWD. Um, it's been my soapbox and Commissioner Lee's soapbox, too, to also get those 
hundreds of thousands of visitors and workers to North Beach and Fisherman's Wharf and the other historic landmarks um, that used to, before we filled in the bay, make up the shoreline. So we hope we can drive traffic to those neighborhoods as well. Thank you. Commissioners, are there any other questions or comments? <laughs> Seeing none, Jenica, next item, please. Item 8B is an informational presentation on proposed strategies to address food and beverage and retail vacancies. And for callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Mike Martin, Assistant Port Director. Just going to make a couple framing comments on this item, and in some ways it will become an extension of the Rebecca testimonial. Um, so. Uh, I wanted to jump on board with a couple comments we've heard already today. First, uh, Vice President Adams talked about the box. So we at the port, um, and working outside the box and moving the box aside, uh, we at the port for a long time were subject to a ban on working with brokers because um, in the good times that Becca described as, as we both came on at the port, we could sort of roll out what we had and people would come to us. And that was a rule that was sort of a product of its time, and now we're in a new time. Um, and we've sort of uh, began to look at how we work with brokers on a limited basis with some of our uh, more unique uh, available properties like Ferry Plaza East back here and the Butterfly Restaurant up at Pier 33. Um, today is an opportunity to think even harder about that, um, looking ahead about what we need to do. And I think we've heard the comments today um, about uh, uh, being more nimble finding those opportunities and grabbing them. And so this was our opportunity to take our, our thought leader on this, who's worked through this in the detail with the brokers, to sort of download that information um, and get your feedback so that we can carry that discussion forward. So I just wanted to express my appreciation, because as a short timer, Rebecca could have said good luck to you on this item, but she's going to take <laughs> us through it. Um, and we're definitely interested in your feedback and hopefully moving ahead on all fronts, both the short-term front we just talked about and the long-term front of giving more permanent tenants into Fisherman's Wharf and really creating that next chapter and that next inflection point for that important neighborhood. So with that, I'll hand it off to Rebecca. Thank you, Mike. Um, this is the fun part. There are a lot of hard times that we talked about earlier where we had a lot of difficulties with tenants. We now have the opportunity to not exactly choose our destiny, but kind of set out how we're going to fill the spaces that are now becoming ours. So I want to go through a strategy with you, hear your feedback, and then hopefully before I go, I'll kind of queue up the action item so my team can continue, um, continue the fun part of filling vacancies. So just as context, we've already looked at the uneven recovery. This is another kind of similar gross sales chart like Megan showed. This one is segmented by um, location, North, Fisherman's Wharf. China Basin and the Southern Waterfront, and then by business line. And you'll see, again, um, uh, restaurants overall uh, very location-based in terms of how they've um, recovered or not. We've seen slow return on the Northern Waterfront, 10 million versus 7 million today, 10 million pre-pandemic, 7 million today. And then just thinking about how inflation has occurred since that time period, our restaurants are seeing lower, lower sales, uh, more difficult um, cost environment much better in the central and southern waterfront. Those restaurants typically are more, uh, have a lot of neighborhood-based business, so they have come back better. Uh, Fisherman's Wharf, big laggard, um, not surprisingly, because of a lot of factors I'll talk about in just a moment, including large number of vacancies. So we have a difficult economic environment. We also have a very large number of potential solicitations in front of us. 
Um, this map shows um, sites in different sort of circumstances. The blue sites are those sites that we currently control. There are four of them. We have two more that will become ours, Pompeys and Lou's, upon board action um, probably later uh, next month. Then we have one more site coming to us at Bayfront Park, a food and beverage pad. That's seven potential, that's seven minimum solicitations for the year. In your staff report, I noted that between 2012 and 2021, we did six for that whole time period. So this is a huge amount of, this is a huge workload that we really aren't set up to do. Most of our staff are focused on existing tenants, responding to tenants, doing renewals, not running um, very time intensive marketing processes. Also want to note there are three other sites that have been closed since the pandemic. Um, we don't control those. There are tenants in place, but those are other potential sites that could come to us. We have 10 potential sites that could, could be ours to market and fill. We've been taking a lot of actions to date to try to kind of fuel our recovery so far. Going way back in time, we did the base rent relief for, uh, re for percentage rent tenants. We've been working through workouts. You've been involved in so many of these mutual terminations. Uh, we also have a number of legal actions going on that I kind of continue to update in my monthly report to you. You approved two broker-managed solicitations that are underway right now for Pier 33 and a half and Ferry Plaza East behind us. Just today, the uh, Board of Supervisors uh, approved the Chapter 6 exemption for tenant-led projects. That's another important tool. We have the tenant improvement budget in the ARPA uh, stimulus fund that's available. And we also just kicked off sort of a two-month intensive session with a small team of consultants who are going to help us focus in on business attraction, visitor ex experience strategy. And the key purpose of this document is to bring together internal port <coughs> folks as well as some of our key stakeholders if they're available, to do in a workshop setting. What are the locations that we can focus on in terms of improving our ability to attract tenants and also to just impact that visitor experience and thinking about the segments of different visitors and what they want to experience when they come to some of our key destinations. I've put together a bit of a strategy document. The, there are six sort of key key steps, and then I want to go through which we can do just through staff-led processes and which I really need, we need action from you all and we need your guidance. So first, we're going to focus, um, it takes a long time to get a new tenant. Uh, we signed the contract with the broker in January. They're marketing it. It just takes, we haven't received any firm proposals yet. We have a lot cooking, but nothing firm as of yet. It takes a long time to get a new tenant. Every day we walk by the Pier 1 former Starbucks site and I think about how, many, how much foot traffic there is there and they still haven't filled that site. So in case, we are, in case it takes longer than we want, we want to seek short-term activations now. This would be an extension of the pop-up RFQ concept where we would put out on our website, we have these available spaces, we'd be willing to have a retail tenant come in on a short-term basis so long as there's a, you know, a small contribution, perhaps we get a share of their revenue, some sort of monetary um, exchange, but they could, sh on a short-term basis, activate some of our closed sites. We want to reduce barriers for businesses to open at the port. We're already doing many of these things, like I was mentioning with the Chapter 6 waiver, with the tenant improvement budget. We want to be flexible, and, and part of the way we're going to do that is by reducing our RFP processes, and we'll keep talking about what that means 
we want to use some professional support. Um, I think it's been enjoyable to work with brokers for sure. I think we want to keep doing that. Um, we can also use other professional support. We've had some of our economic plan and planning firms help us review financials of tenants. We just need more augmentation of staff time in order to process sort of proposals and potential, um, potential business ideas. We want to clearly adopt criteria for any of these spaces. I attached to the staff report the criteria that we used in the previous restaurant locations. It's very flexible and really reflects the values that we want to see in a new partner. So I'm very supportive of that being kind of the general criteria for all of our retail and food and beverage. And then we could adopt site specific, like for example, you don't want to duplicate the type of offering for any particular site. We want to integrate flexibility into the process. This is what, what I mean by this is that as, we're, as we ourselves or brokers are helping tour potential retailers and we're seeing strong interest in one site, maybe not as strong interest in another, we want to potentially accelerate one and say, okay, we're going to call for proposals on one site, the other one we might hold back. We might get proposals and none of them hit the mark, we'd open it up again. And that's something, if we were using the traditional RFP process, we'd have to stop and come back to the Port Commission to open it up again. We want to be more flexible so long as it's clear on our website and we're clear with all of the contacts the broker or ourselves are making that we can pause and reopen uh, call for proposals if it turns out we aren't getting what we need in terms of meeting criteria. And we want to have the feedback loop with you all. So I currently use the monthly leasing report to tell you what leases we've signed and what new legal actions we might be taking. We can use this report if that suits you to kind of say, okay, we've had this many um, tours of this site. We've had this many proposals. They have or have not met sort of the minimum criteria that we've set forward. So we can figure out the best way to do that. Um, but it's going to be sort of an ongoing process as we look at all of these vacancies. So I want to learn from you how you want to be best informed, um, but, but to kind of keep you involved until it's time to bring a lease forward. The strategy, many of the items we can do mostly with staff authority, but there are key items that we want your input and approval on. First, the criteria. Um, the criteria that's noted in the staff report hits all of the key areas in terms of a business concept, um, the tenant's experience, their demonstration of a commitment to race equity or diversity, equity, inclusion by them providing in their business plan how they're going to advance that in one way or another. We also want them, uh, we also want the criteria to be clear that we need minimum financial capacity and or minimum experience. That's one, that's one key action. Another one would be adopting a new parameter rent or revenue participation for short-term licenses or short-term activations in buildings. We're viewing those as less than two years. I had a little chart at the bottom that kind of showed in the staff report how long it might take to get somebody in. I think two years is not outside of the realm of possibility. Some of our sites might go faster because they're in better condition. The last item would be to allow the payment of broker commissions for these new food and beverage or retail spaces um, that are vacant now or might become vacant in the future. Uh, we can alternatively use consulting assistance to augment staff's ability to tour, tour restaurateurs or retailers and to review sort of their criteria and to give sort of feedback to them in terms of how their business plan does or doesn't meet the criteria. Um, but it would be great to be able to use brokers like we are now and like other landlords do. So those are the key 
action items that would come before you as we talk through the strategy. Um, but for, for now, I'd love to hear sort of feedback and I'd love to hear if you have other concepts in terms of information you would like to share. I'm sure Commissioner Lee is gonna want to make sure that he knows about these and he can um, uh, amplify them out through a social media network. So that's super important. But what else should we include in this sort of strategy to make sure when we come back, we can then have the ability to take your feedback and then start to either market for, use the city's consulting contract to get a broker on board or start to put out these solicitations ourselves. And I say solicitations because they're not an RFP, they're a call, they're sort of a call for proposals, something a little bit more flexible than what we're accustomed to. That concludes my presentation. I'd love to hear the discussion. Thank you, Becca. Is there any public comment on this item? Monica, do we have anyone on the line? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Uh, Commissioner Lee. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, these are great ideas. Um, again, as I mentioned, I think before, is there's a lot of brokers out there with a lot of different connections, and it's good to reach out to them, but we should have short-term agreements with them because sometimes, I mean, these spaces are are very big and very lucrative. And I've seen brokers just sit on it and, and don't move very quickly because they got, they got the exclusive. So if we're gonna be doing that, I want short term, and what's the process of, of, of getting these brokers? You know, because there are so many. Some have a lot of different connections than others. So I think we should have some kind of say on who these brokers are. Because in general, they're all the same practice. They all, we all, they all follow the same marketing strategies and the same conditions. So I mean, you could hire them as consultants, but it doesn't really serve our part because you don't have the staff or the outreach to to bring these people in. So my only comment is to make sure these brokers are on a short lease or, or a leash, you know. <laughs> but um, uh, that, but everything else, I mean, it falls in line of what we should be doing because they're not gonna walk through the door anymore. You know, we're gonna have to look for, I mean, unless we size some of these spaces down, they're huge, right? And, and you heard our social, young social media person, they're looking for, they don't wanna sit in the restaurants anymore. They just wanna get their food in the counter and, and explore the environment. See, like that's the, the latest thing. So that's my only comment. It's, Thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Harrington. I would defer to Commissioner Lee on these kinds of things, but um, <laughs> I, I got a couple questions. Are there any requirements to get anybody else outside the port to approve this, or is this really within our control to do this? Um, to do this is do in your, the strategy about? is our control completely. Of course, if we get a lease, then under Charter Section 9.118, then it would have to go to the board if there are more than 10 years or more than a million dollars in revenue. So we presume most restaurant leases would go to the board as well. And the idea is that the items that are on page six, you would come back with these as action items for our commission, is that the idea? Correct. Sure, bring it, bring it back. <laughs> or someone bring it back. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Commissioner Gilman. So I know we're just talking strategy here, so I guess, you know, I, you know, I think you're off to a great start, particularly what you outlined on page six of the proposal in the staff report as well. I guess I would just like to ask the staff, and 
I might be the loan commissioner to really push the envelope. T to me, the reason we would engage a broker directly or do direct leasing um, is to expedite and understand our own staff capacity, what you so noted, that um, we will have, you know, possibly seven or more of these properties up that we need to lease. And, um, you know, over, I think, what was an eight-year period, we did seven ourselves. So I think, you know, we need, we need to recognize that, especially if these are short-term uses or short-term leases that, that we're offering um, to folks um, in, in a way to activate them while we're looking for more permanent leases. I just really want us to think about that. Because we can, we can give the grant to the CBD. We can do everything on social media. But if I, as a resident or a tourist, walk to Fisherman's Wharf or to this area and I see boarded up storefront, boarded up storefront, just like with all due respect that I'm seeing in Union Square, it doesn't make me want to shop there and it doesn't make me want to eat there. So I think we really need to think about short-term activations and how, when we do this process, <coughs> it's still going to be speedier. Um, and, and I say that, um, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's connected to the last item, but as someone who is participating on the review panel for the public art at the cruise ship terminal, it has taken eight months just to get my panel scheduled. So I don't want to see those kinds of delays for us when we're looking to hop on an opportunity, particularly since we're, we're focusing on restaurant and bar and food beverage spaces. Commissioner Lee can tell you if if they're um, activation ready, you know, if they're left in a condition where people can just come in with no t very little TIs and a coat of paint and make it their own, I want to see that activated. So I'm just really hoping that we try to embrace as much as we can with the efficacy of the public trust and public lands and public art obligation to the public, a way to get folks into these spaces so they can be activated. Um, and then my only other suggestion actually <laughs> was on your attachment one criteria. Um, if we're really committed to equity and diversity and we're trying to push that out to the private sector or even small businesses, which may or may not sometimes have that as a focus, it might be like, wow, that's new. Um, I would give that more weight than how pretty the place looks. So the fact that it had an equal point value to, to design, um, I would shave off a point there or two and give it to equity if we really want to be an agency that puts that front and forward. Thank you. May I, may I make a little clarification just to make sure that I was really clear in the presentation? So two things. The brokers we can contract with through Department of Real Estate. So they have a pre-qualified pool. I think they're up to seven brokers at this point. The way we did that process to get the one on board for the two sites was we put out a mini request to everyone on the pool and Department of Real Estate helped us kind of cull through their responses. We interviewed three, and then we selected one based on their experience and then the fee that they offered in terms of their commission. So I'm envisioning doing something similar here where we'd go to that pool again and then figure out if we want to do one broker for more than one site or do one broker for one or two sites to start with the ability to extend if they are successful. Um, and we have been meeting every other week to hear all the prospects so far with the broker that we're engaged with right now, Cushman and Wakefield all the tours, all the feedback they're getting on each site. And then we're strategizing when we're going to call for proposals based on when we think people are ready enough and know enough about the site to give a proposal, um, in particular for 33 and a half. We think that will happen sooner. Ferry Plaza East, we're planning open houses and doing a lot more outreach because it's a much bigger site. So that's the way we're engaged so far. But I totally agree. There's some amount of time where 
we've tried, 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 and if we if we are not successful, then we do have the ability in the contract to cancel and terminate the contract and move on. Um, I'll be working with staff and who have a little bit more experience with brokers than I do to figure out like how much time is the right amount of time where we kind of call the question. And then on the short-term activations, I just want to be really clear that we definitely don't need a broker for that. I think that we can do that ourselves. We have a little bit of exposure. We have existing port tenants who are asking whether or not they could use parts of um, parts of our vacant storefronts to do small activations. So I think the short-term activations, we can market ourselves. We don't need a broker for that for sure. Yeah, and I guess like what I, I'm sorry, what I was trying to say about the short-term activations was part of your staff report, how it might take two years to get someone in, but then... So, so I was thinking maybe like medium activation. So maybe it's, I don't know, a food show's coming to town or something's coming and they'll use the space for six months and then they'll pop it back down or some sort of pop-up dinner club kind of activation. Yep. Um, and I, I do want to apologize. Actually, I looked at my phone. It's only been four and a half months since they've been trying to schedule my panel. So I take that back for the record. <laughs> and it's not, it, no, and it's not no one's fault. It's just there's a bunch of us and it's been hard to get everyone on the same page. It felt so like eight I months. Just, I used to want us to fall into that trap, which is meant to me, Pier 70, huge development projects. But this is... I walked away from my restaurant. I left you everything. He wants to open up a restaurant. Let's make that as seamless as possible. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. Vice President Adams? I think my fellow commissioners hit the roll. Is that your comment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Becca, thank you so much for this presentation. And, um, our fellow commissioners have asked some great questions. Um, and so for the broker, what is a normal contract time frame? Is it like a year, it's, two it's, years? Or? Yes, it's, it's, it's usually the same amount of time that they have on the panel. So we want to make the contract as flexible as possible. So for example, it might be a year or three years that they have on the bench. So we'd make the contract equal to that term, but we can terminate it any time. Okay. Um, based on, you know, lack of performance and inability to find a tenant. So we have that ability to terminate. Um, so far, we are pleased with just the availability that they have to respond to tenants who can quickly do tours, respond to questions, you know, um, help us with the drawings that we need to do of the building and supply those. So they're giving all the information that we need. We're hoping to get proposals in the next two months for peers 33 and a half. So knock on wood that we get one there. Thank you. Well, I agree with overall strategy that you're proposing, and I think that um, the feedback can be a part of the reports. I think that's a great uh, resource. Any other questions or comments, commissioners? One, one question. The, um, the brokers at the city have, is there a lot of them? Or is there just a small amount? I mean, there. I think there are seven, and somebody might remember. I don't see any of my real estate staff here right now, but the, there's a pool of seven. I think that were qualified. City real estate uses them for as land, city as landlord and city as tenant. So they do both of those services. So any any new brokers that are interested, they would go to the city and uh, apply and do an application and and get screened by the real estate division, is that right? Correct, but that's a competitive process, so they'd have okay. to go through that competitive process in order to get on the pool. Is that, a, is that an open call, or is that a certain amount of time that they have to, res, you know, that they're looking for new brokers? I think they're typically two- to three-year contracts, and they just formed a new pool recently. So there's a pool in place for the next two to three years. Um, so that another broker wouldn't have the opportunity until that pool is up again. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm only asking because I, I believe in competition. 
You know, so. yep. Thank you. Thank you, Becca. Thank you. Jenica, next item, please. Item 9A is an informational presentation on the port's 10-year capital plan, fiscal years 2024 to 2033. For callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Hi, Commissioners. Uh, I'm Nate Cruz, the Acting Deputy Director of Finance and Administration. I'm here to present the 10-year capital plan for fiscal years 2024 through 33. Uh, before I get started, I want to thank Yvonne Collins on our staff. She's our new capital budgeting manager. We poached her from the PUC up in Hetchy, and she's been a, a real asset to us and already made contributions, so we're lucky to have her. Uh, so today we're going to go through sort of an overview of, of how we do capital planning at the port, hit some of the highlights of our accomplishments, and then we'll get into the numbers. Like any good finance report, this has a lot of tables. I'm going to focus on some of the, the highlights that I really want you to or provide as a takeaway. Uh, so we'll get into the need over the next 10 years as well as the funding that's available. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the emerging needs and opportunities. And then we're going to kind of shift away from the 10-year capital plan and focus on how we actually deliver some of the capital projects. Because uh, the 10-year capital plan is sort of a, a high-level look. And so to give you a full look at the, the process, we need to talk about implementation a little bit separately. Uh, so to get started, this is, this is why we're here. Uh, the 10-year capital plan is a requirement of the code. Uh, the city, as well as the port, provides or prepares a 10-year capital plan in odd years. Uh, the port provides its own capital plan, which we're presenting to you today, but we're also, we also roll up into the citywide plan. This diagram is sort of an overview or a way to visualize the, the, the total process here at the port. So when we're thinking about capital, we start with sort of the foundational planning documents that we have, the strategic plan and the waterfront land use plan. And so using those documents, we think about sort of what we want the port to look like, what our goals are, and we think about the projects that will help, help advance us toward, towards those goals. The next filter, and the most painful one, unfortunately, is how much money we have to, to get us there. Um, and the available funds we have come from both internal to the port, you know, we have, we have our own sources, and then we have external funds. The internal funds uh, are largely just what's left with net revenue at the end of the year. We do have a goal uh, provided by the Port Commission of investing 25% of our revenues into port capital projects each year. Uh, and the external funds are basically anything other than that. They could be uh, from the city and county of San Francisco, the state, or private developers. Actually, is a big, big contributor here. And so once we sort of look at what we want the port to be and the, the project it takes to get there, uh, we filter what the money we have. Then we actually have sort of a real capital plan approach. The documents that that form the overall capital work we do here uh, fall into a couple of different pieces and they're and they're they're staggered so it's a little bit unusual um, today we're here with the 10-year capital plan again that's that sort of high level look at the need and the funding available over the next 10 years that that we do in the in the odd years in the even years which aligns with our biennial budget process in those even years we come to you with a five-year capital improvement program of which the first two years is actually the budget right that's where we put real dollars into specific projects in specific years uh, I'm going to loop back to the how we do the implementation at the end but I wanted to give you that overview first 
some challenges and opportunities that go into every version of the 10-year plan, but especially this one. Uh, we always struggle with uh, precision of the data, uh, accurate cost estimates for our facilities, right? We have seven and a half miles of waterfront. We've got 20 million square feet of commercial real estate. Some of that's over the water in, on facilities that were built 75 plus years ago. So the precision of the data is, uh, is not what I would like it, like it to be. Uh, but I think we do a, a really good job of getting a sense of the scope and scale of what we're trying to tackle. Um, and so cost estimates are a challenge. Uh, the pandemic and the economic uncertainty that comes with that, or any economic cycle, doesn't really impact the condition of our facilities, but it really hits our ability to fund those improvements, right? Like our own net revenue, as we've learned through COVID, is incredibly dependent on tourism, uh, as well as what private developers want to do on the waterfront. And so the economic uncertainty that we face now is, is probably unlike we've seen in a number of cycles. So that remains a challenge. Sea level rise risk and seismic risk. Um, we've made a lot of progress on getting, our, getting a, a clear picture on what our resilience projects are going to look like. But at this point, they're not reflected on a project level or there's, there's no row in the capital plan that speaks to all of the seawall or resilience projects that we anticipate in the very long future. That's a generational project. It's going to take a lot of work. Um, so those are the challenges. But on the opportunity side, uh, all of this need and all of this investment that we're going through presents us with a, a really wonderful opportunity to make some impacts on race equity. You'll see race equity come up a lot through this uh, presentation. Uh, but I'll, I'll speak to it a little bit more on the next slide. But, but that's definitely an opportunity, um, as well as creating revenue-generating projects. One of the founding assumptions in the, in the math that underpins these tables is that a lot of the, the facilities will basically be replaced with similar facilities with a similar function. And we know that's not true. Some of the most transformational projects we've seen on the waterfront totally changed the nature, right, of a, what was an empty shed into a world-class science museum that draws now hundreds of thousands of visitors a year at the Exploratorium. That's not something anticipated in the plan, but can really be transformational. Uh, and finally, we have a really near-term opportunity to finally uh, expand ferry transportation or in the Bay Area. And so that's, that's an exciting opportunity, too. Uh, so on race equity, I wanted to just pause on this a moment to provide some more detail. Uh, we have had some big accomplishments here. We've hired our first diversity, equity, and opportunity officer and delivered the first phase of the port's race equity action plan. Uh, on the capital budget side, we actually are using race equity as a scoring criteria when we select capital projects. It's a new thing we started doing in the last capital improvement program. Um, and we've, we're dedicated to continue using those very uh, precious capital funds that we have to continue investing in affordable housing uh, and improving the resilience of the southern waterfront and protecting the infrastructure and jobs all up and down the Embarcadero on the waterfront. Some accomplishments, um, you know, we, we finally put some finishing touches on Crane Cove Park with Building 49, as well as uh, its connection to the Pier 70 development, that's that 19th Street project. We did a lot of uh, safety investments, which is a big category of, of how we select projects. Uh, for Pier 1, Pier 26, and uh, the police berth improvements at Hyde Street Harbor. Uh, I already mentioned the race equity consideration. We select projects. Uh, huge capital accomplishment wasn't actually in the ground, but we got $117 million of stimulus 
uh, of which the lion's share is going into capital. So that's that's a big a big win for sure. And lastly, the uh, the progress we've made on the waterfront resilience program. Right, we've got uh, we're, we're still working closely with the Army Corps of Engineers to identify what sort of the adaptation strategy is going to look like. There's a, a lot of early uh, conceptual work that's gone into that. We're hoping that becomes clear very soon. Uh, while we're waiting for that, we've also advanced just near-term Embarcadero seismic and uh, uh, resilience projects. So we're, we're working both on the big vision as well as the near-term needs. Okay, now, now we'll get into sort of the, the numbers in the plan. The charts in this presentation are not in the staff report, but the numbers that are in the in this presentation all tie to table one in your in your staff report if you're trying to connect them. Um, and so the 10-year capital need, we, we fundamentally separate into two categories. There's state of good repair. That's just keeping things in good condition, thing, the things that we have today. And then there's enhancements. Those are improvements that we know we need over the next 10 years. So the state of good repair need that we've identified for the next 10 years is $2.24 billion. Okay. The enhancement on top of that is another $1.9 billion. So we're, you know, we're in the neighborhood of about $4.2 billion of total need over the next 10 years. Now that's an increase from the prior plan for sure, which was closer to $4 billion. Uh, those changes uh, reflect not so much any massive change in the condition of our facilities, but we get better data every cycle. We're really working to improve the precision. Um, we also do a lot of work, right? Uh, the, the maintenance crew and uh, the engineering group are constantly completing projects, and so we adjust the, the numbers according to that. Uh, the passage of time relates to, so the 10-year window that we're looking at in any given plan advances every two years, and so sometimes that picks up new projects and that can drive the number up. And finally, and this is the most frustrating one, is the cost of construction inflation, right? The, the escalation cost just keeps pushing this, thing, pushing this number up every year faster than we can bring it down with our own work. Okay. So a little detail now on the state of good repair and the funding available to pay for it. And this is really, I think, one of the most important, important things that this report shines a light on is the funding gap. So with that $2.24 billion need, we've identified $590 million that we think we can pull together and appropriate to meet that need. So that's, that leaves a significant gap, right? $1.7 billion over the next 10 years. The enhancement side is better, still has a big gap. Uh, with the $1.9 in enhancements, well, we've identified roughly $1.2 in funding that's available. Uh, a lot of that comes from external funders and private developers that are invested in those uh, improvements. But it still leaves a significant gap of six point, roughly, or $660 million. So I also wanted to spend a moment, pause for a moment on where the, where the money comes from. Um, so again, the internal funding that comes from the port totals roughly $386 million. That comes from basically port appropriations every year from the, the net revenues that are left after we pay for our expenses. Um, 
external funding lar largely overshadows that. You see the pie chart, that orange uh, piece of the pie is certainly much larger and represents a lion's share of investment. Uh, this is sort of the, in the, a list of the examples of the type of funding that comes in from external sources. There's obviously federal and state grants, uh, some stimulus money. Uh, MBFL refer, refers to Mission Bay Ferry Landing. We've got a couple of external sources there that are critical to that project's success. Uh, we've got IFD and CFD revenues coming in, uh, private developer investment, and we're also using geo bonds. I will say, I, before coming to the port, I, was, I worked for the, the Washington, D.C., the district government, and I was the treasurer of economic development finance. So we were in charge of all the different tools we could deploy to spend on economic development. And this little port pulls all the same levers that we did. We're using every tool available to try to bring money in, and I'm, I'm wildly impressed by the work that we've done at every level to, to bring money to the port, but there's still a lot of work left to do. Um, so there's a couple needs and opportunities that are worth uh, exploring. As you look at these numbers, uh, I mentioned that some of these transformational projects that really change the use of a facility uh, and that are so important to our future aren't reflected in the numbers that are here today because we don't know what those new projects are gonna look like. Right, we issued a request for interest in historic Embarcadero piers, and we're working on advancing what those projects are gonna look like, but we don't know what the the backlog is or the amount of assessment, or I'm sorry, the amount of investment that will be necessary to bring those up to a good state of repair. Uh, and so that can swing the numbers pretty significantly in what, what that investment number might look like. Conditional seismic costs. We do have an assumption in here about what that costs. Conditional seismic work is if you make a, a significant amount of investment in an existing facility, <coughs> if it's big enough, it triggers a requirement to bring that facility to comply with current seismic code. And in some cases, that can be almost as much as bringing the facility to, to upgrading the facility all by itself. So it can be a significant cost. We don't actually know what that cost would be because it depends on the individual facility and the, and the improvements that are gonna be done. Uh, and so that's, that's a big source of variance in the numbers. And as I mentioned earlier, waterfront resilience uh, also presents uh, a large source of variance. Currently, the numbers that are in this report reflect resilience to the extent that it is funded. We have a certain funding source with GO bonds. That's the 2018 bond that was so uh, overwhelmingly approved by the voters. And also another one that we're assuming is coming in 2027, I believe. Uh, but all that money that we're hoping to win from the federal government with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and external sources, that's, that's a little too speculative at this point to bring into the report. Uh, but obviously when that comes in, that's going to change the, the scale of this report dramatically. You know, we, we all know that the, the, the resilience cost uh, exceeds almost the entire state, you know, port's need at this point. So that, that's going to change the look and feel of the report substantially once we get some real numbers to include. Okay, so that was the 10-year the ten plan, the high-level look. So what do we do with this information once we have this plan? Um, so basically right now, starting, well, maybe a little bit later in the summer, we start working on the capital improvement program, the five-year capital improvement program. We start gathering project submissions from all the divisions. Uh, we look at any projects from the last round that were not funded. We also look at, we have a facility database that has an algorithm that predicts when you might need to do large projects. We look at that. 
We try to get sort of the universe of projects that we need to consider to advance our goals. Then we put cost estimates on those, on those projects as best we can and we rank them. Um, and the ranking is, 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 a, is a substantial process. It goes, it's probably a full week of work. Uh, the deputies get together as a committee and, and do that ranking. And we consider things like whether or not this honors a prior commitment, right? Sometimes we do projects where we commit to providing bay fill removal or public access. We want to make sure we're honoring those commitments. So the next time we ask for something, we make sure we've, uh, you know, uh, held to our word. Health and safety is always paramount. That's health and safety of the staff, our tenants, and the, the public at large. Uh, leasing needs. Leasing needs sometimes has to do with health and safety, and it sometimes has to do with return on investment below it. But as we learned in the pandemic, an empty facility not only creates a revenue gap, it also creates this public perception problem, right? There's boarded up uh, uh, businesses along the Embarcadero. That, that's a perception problem. It can also be a safety problem. Um, and so any leasing needs that help address those non-quantitative needs of, a, of the leasing team can be considered in the project selection process. Excuse me. Uh, and the last thing we consider is whether or not this will attract outside dollars. Or we clearly, clearly identified there's a funding gap here, and so if a project fits really uh, fits criteria of a federal grant opportunity or some other grant opportunity, that's one that we'll invest our own dollars in and hopes to attract that that outside money. Uh, once we get those projects ranked, we bring that result to you for approval as part of the biennial budget submission. And that's where we take the first two years of that five-year plan that becomes our budget. And we, with your approval, go to the full board of supervisors for implementation of that budget. So this is what that CIP looks like. This is a, an excerpt from the staff report for the last budget process. You can see it's got individual project names categorized by um, uh, by geography as well as the year funds are appropriated in. Uh, so it's got some real specificity, right? This is, talks about specific projects and specific uses. Um, happy to talk about any of the projects if you have specific questions, but I wanted to just give you a sense of what, what the CIP looks like when you see it. Um, but finally, there, there's still things we need to work on. Um, integration of resilience, I've talked about the long-term economics of given facilities, right, that empty industrial sheds out over the water might not pencil as well as the exploratorium or some other use might. We have to start considering that in the numbers we put in this plan. And the last thing I, I, I think we're, it's, it's really a privilege to work on is this equity component. All the investment that's going on in the waterfront um, presents a really immense opportunity for us, uh, not just where we spend the money, like in which geography or what the project looks like, but who we spend it with. All of those are the levels of equity that we're trying to consider as we, as we look at all these uh, capital investments. But that's the 10-year plan. I'm happy to take any questions that you have. Thank you, Nate. Thanks. Is there any public comment on this item? Monica, do we have anyone on the line? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. Just a, a few kind of simple questions to start with. On page six of your presentation, when you talked about the um, 
the equity issues, and you said the port will continue using capital funds to support affordable housing. How does the port do that? I, I assumed we, we made agreements in terms of using space that we own, but you actually use capital funds for affordable housing? I think I'm going to have to get back to you on that. Uh, okay. I know, uh, yes, I think certainly we've invested capital assets. Sure. But the funding itself, I'm going to have to dive okay. into. I'm sorry, I don't have that detail. That's fine. Um, on, in the report, we talked about the IFD and the CFD. Or did you want to comment on that? Well, I don't think we invest capital funds in housing. Um, we right. definitely contribute and are part of housing sure. developments. Um, we we uh, require land value, fair market land value on our housing deals, uh, but we work very carefully with the city to prep. Uh, bring more affordability, et cetera, but we don't invest our capital dollars in housing. That, that makes sense. That's what I thought. That's why when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's an interesting thing I hadn't heard of before. Um, the, the IFD and CFD money, I guess when we did that, I thought it was going to be big money for the port. <laughs> and when I look at your 10-year plan, it's like $27 million altogether. Is, is there a... Is it just not happening the way we thought it was going to happen, or do you have you weren't here maybe? But I mean, is, is that less than what we thought was going to happen? And is it, are we thinking it's going to grow dramatically, or is that really that kind of kind of relatively small dollar value? The IFD CFD funding that you're seeing in the mm -hmm. um, it's in the table mm -hmm. on, on mm -hmm. it's like. Um, it's in the report on page three, and it talks about external funding sources right. of the 1.45 million billion, yeah. and it shows an Orton IFD tax increment of 7.9 million, Pier 70 yeah. Shoreline CFD 5.5, and Mission Rock CFD 14.3. Do we do we think other things will come on board that will that will expand that in any kind of dramatic way? Because this is looking at the next 10 years. There's just not much there. I thought it would be more. This is the f this represents the portion of the IFD and CFD funding that comes to the port. Right. Right. It does not include the CFD, IFD revenue that uh, is dedicated to paying debt service on bonds that reimburse developers for their investments. Uh -huh. So that, that, that debt service component is the biggest component of it. Okay. So what you're seeing here, and I can't speak to how it aligns to prior expectations because I wasn't here, right. but... What you're seeing here is not the full IFD. When, when you get a chance, would you mind just sending us a note about mm -hmm. how much total is generated by those mm -hmm. and then where it goes? Mm -hmm. That would be handy. Mm -hmm. um, the, the last, one of the last pages of your report, page 15, the 2023-24 column only adds up to like $9 million. Is, Am I missing something, or is that really the extent of the the money in CIP for the current for the this next fiscal year? This said twenty twenty. It's always helpful to have a total as opposed to just multiple subtotals. But I was <laughs> I was just running through it quickly in my own mind. I'm sorry, I'm not seeing the, the, the twenty twenty three twenty four column only adds up to about $9 million, and that's saying the use of funds for CIP in in this next fiscal year. Oh. And I'm just wondering if, if I'm missing something there. The 2023-24 20, column in my 
in this, yeah, on page 15. That one? Yep. Uh, that is correct. That does not re reflect all the geographies of the port. This is just sort of a, an excerpt of the table. Ah. It doesn't include uh, Fisherman's Wharf or port-wide projects. Okay. But the magnitude's not, not far off. I think the, the sticker shock you might be experiencing here is, is real. You know, the amount of funds that we have to appropriate in our budget is not significant, right? Where it's a good year if we put $20 million of capital in. Um, well, that's in 2022-23, look like a, a much different year. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's real. Some of that is stimulus money. Mm -hmm. uh, we tried to appropriate that out as fast as we could, and so we put that front-loaded it where it was available. But your, your, your point is right. I can, I can get you the full 23-24 total that includes all the geographies if you'd like. That'd be great. Sure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, you've done an amazing job, you collectively have done an amazing job with so little revenue to, to meet such a, such a big part of the, of the, of the whole program. Mm -hmm. um, I'm totally amazed and in, in awe that you've been able to cobble together all that. But then there's this big gap still that's there. And we're not really talking about real sea level rise, real construction work on a long term. Um, I've, I've been doing a bit of work lately on intergenerational equity, and it's starting to make me crazier and crazier all the time that we are letting things go for our children to take care of. Um, this is not a good year to be walking around and saying we need more money for things, but I'm wondering whether, maybe this is already in a plan, or maybe you do this on an annual basis anyway, but I'm wondering whether maybe in six or nine months we could put together kind of a more informational presentation and discussion bring in other city departments or whatever, but talk about what, what are we going to do about climate change, and particularly climate change that affects the port, but all climate change things that affect the city. The port seems to be in the middle of so much of it um, that, that it directly affects us. But it would be great to have a, a better sense of how the city is planning on really dealing with that issue. Um, so far, it's been very much in the deferral mode, like it's far away, and it's not really far away. So I would love to get just more information or more of a discussion. You know, again, when you have time in the future, that would be great. But those are my questions. And again, I, I applaud you for being able to put so much together with such a fairly small resource here. But, yeah. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman? Um, well, th thank you, Nate, and thank you, Commissioner Harrington, for, for all those questions. Um, I just had actually two questions. Um, going back to um, page 15, section 15, the chart, you're sort of expert. I've always been struck, well, I know there's, and I know this is not, some of this is seismic, some of this is sea level, but, you know, this isn't the Army Corps of Engineers study and sort of the bigger picture. This is more our capital improvements. I've always been struck on over the five years I've been on commission how much of our improvements maybe i don't i don't want to infer because of historical neglect it might have just been because it was more maritime or more industrial how much of it really sits on the southern waterfront mm -hmm. of where our investment needs to go mm -hmm. and so i guess this might just be a theoretical question to look at mm -hmm. i wonder if some of the innovations we're looking at like offshore wind and other things if that would generate enough revenue or excess revenue that we could pull off as um dedication to that sort of like the Southern Waterfront Fund for the Southern Waterfront um, so that we can really get to these repairs. Um, since that section of the waterfront doesn't have, right now at least, the kind of revenue around parking restaurants or other things where we have participation, where we get money that we could dedicate 
like that we're, we're, we're generating money and making money sort of on the northern waterfront, maybe pre-pandemic. Um, and so I'm just wondering if we can, when we look at things that are going to be happening in the southern waterfront, like the offshore wind exploration, which I know is still in its infancy, um, or other kind of venues like the music concert that's coming back to Pier 80, which I was super excited to read about in the newspaper, if there's a way we could look at dedicating more money from a capital perspective to the southeast waterfront. That was my only sort of aha when we're trying to cobble together all these resources. Um, thank you for your report. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Lee. Uh, <clears throat> uh, question on the um, priorities. Uh, since we have Aliotos and a lot of these restaurants are empty right now, wouldn't it be better and a lot maybe more economical to start if we if there is some sort of priority for underneath those restaurants since they're empty now to address them and then because who knows we might have to go in there and change the whole structure of the building anyway rather than wait you know to figure out what the other priorities i think in order for us to get more revenue you know we need to address these empty spaces and they have to be repaired anyway and instead of uh, displacing a tenant and say, oh, well, let's decide to fix it now, and then we have to displace a tenant, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be better to set those priorities as well rather than, you know, oh, we owe this guy because we didn't do it last year or something, you know? I can respond a bit to that yeah. question and then turn it over to you, Nate. The restaurants and the vacant spaces are not in this uh, capital plan. They're actually probably assumed as tenant responsibilities in that pie chart that you saw, which is has more funding than we do for capital improvements. This plan is looking at longer-term improvements, um, safety improvements, uh, public realm improvements, park improvements, et cetera. The restaurants, we did allocate TI budget through the American Rescue monies. So that was new for us to think about investing in TI. We do not have an investment plan or program to rehabilitate or reinvest in those restaurants ourselves in a very large way. We're talking about smaller scale tenant improvements. So that's where we are right now in our thinking and our budgeting and our capital planning. Uh, but as we work through the brokerage and the restaurants, we, we may come in with other recommendations for capital spending in our capital budget as it relates to those facilities. But we're not in a... Um, we're not in a position, nor do we have funding to take on those facilities in the way you're describing. So I'm not talking about the up, the above ground part because underneath they they sit on piers. Isn't that part of infrastructure, though? Oh, absolutely. That's part of our infrastructure, and we're doing assessments and letting right. future tenants know about its condition. And we're doing obviously so that's inspections what I'm saying. before termination. Since they're empty, kind of empty now, wouldn't that be a good time to think about? Uh, re, you know, doing those infrastructure repairs. And then, you know, because if, if we're going to, I don't know what the strategy will be in the future, whether the new tenants are going to be responsible right. to fix right. those piers. Right. But in today's economy, nobody's going to take our leases if that's going to be part of the deal. So I'm just saying, are we going to wait to decide whether that's a priority or, you know, uh, you know, I know the above ground until we figure out who that tenant is, but I'm really concerned about is that part of the infrastructure underneath? Mm -hmm. You know, it could be years before we, you know, get somebody to rent 
and who knows what I mean. So you know, I'm kind of confused. What's I know above it is is retail, mm -hmm. but below is infrastructure too. So. I see there's a gray area. I see everyone, all the leadership team coming up to help yeah, so respond I, to your questions I'm with new, me. You know, so I'm we'll, still, uh, we'll start with Michael Martin. So, so it's, it's something we've thought a lot about. So the 66-year leases for all of those restaurants in Fisherman's Wharf, because they were so long, they allocated responsibility for the substructure to the tenants, kept it off our ledger. And that's right. a big expense that we don't like to take. Mm -hmm. um, now I think we've got the challenge of the we know more about the resilience program and we're looking at, for example, the seawall underneath Taylor Street. Um, and we need to do more thinking about, because those, those buildings are not only on their own piles, but they're sort of resting on the land side. And any improvements to address seismic risk in the street would necessarily sort of undercut improvements we did now on the piles on the, other, on the water side. So I think we need to have a coordinated look at that when we look at that Taylor Street project, which right now is more than we can afford with the dollars we have under the Prop A bond. Wow. So I think it's an idea that makes sense. Unfortunately, the imperative for now means that I think we need to figure out a way to get tenants in there to generate revenues while we work out that plan and then try to negotiate it from there. Because this, I mean, right now that Taylor Street project, because we don't know exactly what the design is, has a really wide potential cost and we're not sure how to necessarily pay for it ourselves. So I just wanted to add a little bit of that color to those specific restaurants, but it's an idea that makes sense because you're absolutely right. In this economy, no one's taking the deal that the prior tenants took to take that responsibility because right. they won't have the term or the revenue generation capability to pay for that. Right. And another thing to consider when we think of projects of this size, they totally eclipse our ability to pay. Mm -hmm. So a project on Taylor Street would be much larger uh, than we have uh, every annu annual cycle. And so many of the projects that we fund are more capital maintenance projects that are less, um, they're, they're smaller scale, essentially, to keep our facilities up and running and away from a red tag or a yellow right. tag. But when we go into these big, big transformational investments, you'll see it's not, it's not resting on the port's balance sheet and our ability to generate no. our, smart, well, our small capital budget has lots of different right. funding sources to pull it off. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just saying if we happen to get a, a guy that wants to take that space, I think it would be a bummer that we say, oh, by the way, we got to start fixing underneath you, and then your business has been disrupted, and then we have to pay them for the disruption, you see? So sometimes I'm thinking, well, what's the, what's the point of hurrying up and, rent, and uh, renting these spaces out when eventually we have to fix the piers? So, I mean, it's a, it's a big problem, you know, that we have to figure out. So I'm just asking how the priorities are set, because I... I don't understand I that. I think it's an absolutely excellent conversation to launch into. And with the capital plan and where we are with COVID and what's happening in Fisherman's Wharf and the opportunities in the southern waterfront for investment and potential offshore wind and other project cargoes, we are uh, we are creating strategies for each place. But it, it's not changing something like the 10-year capital plan because we don't have a we don't have a durable plan for Taylor Street right. yet. We haven't. We know it needs help. We know it needs resilience work. Uh, it's in one of the 23 projects, the early projects, and we know it costs more than we have even in the Prop A bond mm -hmm. to repair. So we're looking at near-term activation, short-term leasing, and our lawyers will get us all the right language in there that describes that as a public sector we may come in for public.
public project purposes. Uh, so we have that in the lease. But we are developing strategy by strategy. You will see things roll out in the capital plan when we have a plan right. uh, for, okay. the, for a, a project. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Vice President Adams. Nate, that was um, that was an awesome report. Very meticulous. And you know, one thing is good about you is that you lived in D.C. and you understand how government works. And uh, um, I wanted to say something about what Commissioner Harrington was saying. He was right on point about sea level. But the one good thing about tomorrow will be a special day for the Port of San Francisco because you're going to have the White House here in the Port of San Francisco. And the Port of San Francisco is going to be front and center. You got the Maritime Administration, the Department of Transportation, and all the things about infrastructure and things like that. They're going to get to see our port. The administration is coming to us. We're not having to go to D.C. They're coming here to San Francisco. They'll be here tomorrow. They're going to get to see all this land. They're going to be on the water. They're going to get to see this. And so this is this this is a good thing for us. And going back to what Commissioner Gilman said, we know that the port that they're looking at the port of San Francisco, the port of Long Beach, and Eureka for offshore wind. It's going to be big. And I know Mike Martin and Maritime and Andre, they've been working on that. That is going to be big. And Commissioner Gilman is right. That's going to that is going to some revenue and that's 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 going to be huge. And also about our commitment to sea level rise, as uh, Commissioner Harrington was in and explaining, they're going to understand that and the monies that we've gotten. I mean, I think we've done pretty good as far as the investment. Our governor invested some, several billion dollars in infrastructure for ports and just in the state of California alone. And the president, his his infrastructure bill. I was at the White House when he did that for and. We have to get these shares of the money because uh, Commissioner Harrington's right. I mean, we're a very small port trying to compete with L.A., Long Beach, Oakland, right? So we got to get our share because we need more. And, and he, he's on he's on point about that. But tomorrow, I think we really, uh, really showcase San Francisco. We're going to be front and center tomorrow and uh, in the eyes of the nation. But I will also say I also realize that there's an issue maybe with the debt ceiling that could be a problem too. And that's a reality because of politics. And I'm hoping that will work out. So there's a lot of variables and a lot of things that are interwined in what we're trying to do. But this is a great report. It was very well thought out, very methodical. You had all the answers. I know some of the commissioners wanted you to get back to them, but I think you did good. But uh, tomorrow will be a big day. And let's take advantage of that. We don't get this opportunity very often. We usually have to go to Washington to lobby or go up to Sacramento to beat the drums and to have our voices heard. But they're coming on our home turf tomorrow. And we got to be like the Warriors. We got to uh, we got to win three in a row. So let's <laughs> do what we got to do. So thanks, Nate. That's four Thank in you. a row. Oh, four in a row. No, we won one. <laughs> we won one. We need three more. Yeah. We have to uh, win boy. four games. Right? Yeah. <laughs> three. Three. Three in a row. Yeah. But going forward. <laughs> going forward. Nate, thank you so much for the report. And this was great conversation. I, I think uh, the commissioners hit on a lot of items. But um, I just think the common thing is our unfunded needs go up every five, ten years. You know? But I think that the staff has done an incredible job of finding resources. Like you said, all the tools that we're using for 
to bringing in revenues is what the government, the federal government is using. And we're a small shop with a small budget, but we're, we're in the last five, six years, we've been really, really good at finding opportunities to bring in revenues to the port. And so, and, and with, you know, resilience, that's gonna be a huge project and take a lot of resources. So we, we've got a lot on our plate. It's great to see this. I think um, Commissioner Harrington asking to, to understand, you know, the overall capital plan, the, the, the five-year plan, two-year plan, how resilience fits into all this and to be able to see a full budget of port and resilience together because it is all the port. And so to really understand, you know, what our long-term goals are, what, what our resources are, and what we're, and what we're gonna need going forward. This is a great start. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for this presentation. Thank you, Commissioner. Okay, Jennifer, next item, please. Yes, item 10A is an informational presentation on the proposed public art program that establishes a process to select and place public art along the port's waterfront, including selection of artists and outreach to artists. And for callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Good evening, uh, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, other fellow commissioners, and Executive Director Elaine Forbes. My name is Ryan Wassum, and I'm a planner with the Planning and Environment Division. And I'm here uh, with my colleague, Dan Hodap, um, who helped draft this art program with me and will be, be available for questions after. Um, we'd also like to recognize and thank Tiffany Tatum, Tony Autry, David Beaupre, and Ming Young for their contributions and help in drafting the program. So as part of the presentation, uh, we're gonna go over the overview and purpose, the artist selection process, the outreach for public art, artists and artwork selection criteria, and also maintenance and ownership. Uh, before jumping into the presentation though, I did want to highlight um, that the port currently does not have a dedicated public art program or staff resources uh, to implement a comprehensive program. But again, um, this is kind of the first overview of the program. <clears throat> public art aids in celebrating the port's history and diversity while demonstrating a vision for the future and a commitment to cultural values. Through public art, the port hopes to educate, inspire discussion, delight residents and visitors, and add to the waterfront sense of recognizable place. The purpose of the port's public art program is to describe the process for selection of artists and public art and guide its placement along the Port of San Francisco waterfront. Um, as part of this, you know, the program is a guide essentially to guide how and where public art can enhance and enliven the port's network of parks, public spaces, and natural areas, administer a transparent and inclusive process for the selection of diverse artists and artwork, and also expanding opportunities for indigenous people and people of color display art inclusive of local and regional artists. 
So I don't know how detailed you guys got into the staff report, but the staff report covered essentially kind of the three artwork and artist selection processes. As part of that, we're gonna review open call, direct selection, and artist-sponsored proposals. Um, it is important to note that any project that requires project management or assistance from the San Francisco Arts Commission, a memorandum of understanding would be required um, with the Arts Commission itself. And as an asterisk here, I just wanna let you guys know, these processes are based off of the San Francisco Arts Commission's guidelines and policies. Open Call is a local, national, or international competition open to professional practicing artists that meet minimum eligibility requirements per the Arts Commission guidelines and policies. This is applicable to permanent or temporary art proposals that utilize city's funds per the city's art enrichment program or other major art, other major public art um, on port property as directed by essentially the Port Commission. The open selection, open call selection process consists of distribu distributing a publicized request for call qualifications to professional practicing artists. An art selection panel is formed to of representatives from the port and community groups, potentially BCDC staff and the Arts Commission to narrow down to uh, a few potential artist proposals. And then the selection panel's final recommendation and maintenance plan is then presented uh, to the Port Commission and when applicable to the Arts Commission for consideration and final approval. Uh, for direct selection, uh, this process is typically used for temporary and or permanent artworks of limited budget, consistent with uh, contract threshold requirements for professional services under Chapter 21 of the Admin Code. Um, it's applicable if proposal or the project budget is less than the minimum competitive amount that's currently set at $129,000 per admin code. Um, if the budget is under $10,000, there's no RFQ or RFP required. However, um, it's encouraged to solicit at least three written bids or proposals um, if this is a direct selection process that is chosen. And if the budget is between that 10K to 129,000, um, informal solicitation is required per rules by contract management department. Um, and what distinguishes this differently from open call, um, in addition to budget and kind of schedule, is that only one artist, artist team is chosen to, to move forward. Uh, versus if you do open call, it's usually narrowed down to at least three to four uh, final artist proposals. And the third selection process, uh, this is basically artist-sponsored proposals occur when artists or arts organizations approach the port requesting permission to temporarily display their art on port property at the sponsor's own expense. Artist-sponsored or basically unsolicited proposals will be evaluated by port staff up to three times a year or as directed by the executive director. Proposals will be reviewed by port staff for consistency with criteria outlined in the art program and also um, in the staff report. Uh, the port staff may present final proposals as an informational item of the Port Commission for review and, and comment prior to consideration of approval by the Port's Executive Director. And here's just two images of artist sponsored proposals that were um, popular at the Port. You have a polar bear on the left, and to the right you have the rocket ship. And 
And then also um, for outreach for artists, and artists will play a critical role in developing a comprehensive public art program along the port's waterfront. As part of the outreach strategy, we kind of broke it up into three key strategies of develop, promote, and enhance. So for developing, it would be, um, we want to develop a website and content by the end of Q3 of this year. We want to promote the program and any future opportunities by the end of 2023. And then we want to revisit and enhance the program towards the end of 2024. And I'm going to go into a little more detail in the following slides of each of these outreach strategies. So staff would like to develop a transparent port public art program webpage with an overview of program that includes, uh, but not limited to, we would like to outline the requirements and processes for using port property for public art, such as licenses and uh, encroachment permits. Uh, we'd like to establish a review process for, for large, small-scale, and temporary art. Um, also have locations and sites suitable for large-scale art installations, and also have opportunities for, for involvement um, all on a web page. And after kind of creating that, um, then the second phase would kind of be publicizing the, the port's public art program and promoting those opportunities for artists and artworks through established port communication channels and partners. That could include port newsletters and social media, the port website, partnering with SF cultural districts and applicable agent, city agencies, and then utilizing and or creating an email distribution list within the nine county Bay Area region for outreach and promotion opportunities. So we can kind of um, get the word out there that we actually have a, a program. And then lastly, as part of kind of the, the three-pronged approach would be kind of an enhancing um, that outreach strategy, evaluating and improving the art program over time. So by the end of Q4 in 2024, sometime in that year, it, we would again reevaluate the program, which would include continuing to update the webpage to promote new and diverse opportunities, expand outreach channels and partnerships as they become available or are developed, update um, those distribution lists to maximize artistic diversity and opportunities for involvement, and then also learning from those uh, successes and failures of the program and kind of adjust and pivot where needed. And again, here's just some um, artist network selection criteria that's kind of outlined in the draft program. I won't go to any of those in detail, but you know they do range from kind of, again, your artistic qualifications to, to your ability to maintain. Is it um, something that, that can be built here to withstand kind of the, the marine elements, et cetera? And then, to, and then depending upon the selection process, which, you know, there's open, direct, or artistic, or artist-sponsored, and the use of city funds, ownership and maintenance um, are different, kind of fall under different buckets. Um, for open, call, and direct selection through negotiation with the Arts Commission, ownership and maintenance for public art involving city funds would transfer to the city under the jurisdiction of the Arts Commission. Um, for public art not involving city funds, the port may request the Arts Commission to accept the art into the city's civic art collection, pending the Art Commission's ability for acceptance. And sometimes they do have um, temporary moratoriums where they're not taking on new art. Um, and then for artist-sponsored proposals, ownership and maintenance for artist-sponsored public art shall be the responsibility of the sponsoring artists or arts organization unless the port chooses to accept 
the public art and maintain it. That concludes the informational presentation of the program. I also have Dan Hodap here along with me. So if you guys have any feedback, input, or questions, we are more than happy to address. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Seeing none, Monica. There is no public comment on the <laughs> no phone. <one>. Surprise. <laughs> okay, public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee? Uh, so the, the overall process is just to get this going. I mean, Q3, Q4, and even Q, I mean, we're talking about year, right? How long from solicitation to finally picking the art? I mean, what's the process, about a year? So, so it really depends. So what we had kind of outlined for this is kind of the initial like structure of we have to, so we don't really have a current program, right? So we're trying to, to draft content for a website and then also start pushing out any art opportunities we might have. Mm. Um, right now, the only art opportunity that I'm aware of is, is Pier 27, um, which you heard Commissioner Gilman speak earlier. It's taken some time to work with the Arts Commission to get the selection panel uh -huh. um, solidified. Um, but there is, for other opportunities per se, so if we had an actual budget for public art, um, then we would probably move forward with something like the direct selection process. But we don't know how long that would take because we haven't really gone through this process yet. I see. Um, but we would always, and there's really no dedicated staff to, as I um, so at the beginning of the presentation, we really don't right. have this comprehensive art program. Um, and then when, when, let's say, I mean, I went through this process uh, before I built a statue for Chinese railroad worker laborers, which is in Sacramento right now. And we were supposed to put it on Caltrans property. And they said, okay, you can have it for a dollar. You can have the mm -hmm. land, but you have to carry the insurance. You have to carry. And then they said, well, then it has to be a property of state of California or something, right? So do we have to go through the same process uh, for that as well for public art? We do. So we um, require the insurance, the liability, the transfer of risk, the wow. maintenance. We require all of that. And let the, sometimes the artist comes through an arts organization that picks up those fees and responsibilities. That does occur. Uh, but we don't take on any of that as a court. So how long does that art get to stay there? I mean, it depends because it depends. what happens if they can't support the insurance anymore or sometimes, you know, the foundation falls apart. Do, you, do we Wait. tell them to remove it off property then? We yeah. haven't had that particular circumstance in my tenure, um, but the time does depend. Um, we've had different. Uh, different times for the Haifa art at Pier 27, the Polar Bear, uh, Pier 14. Dan Hodap, you can probably help us out with the, the range of times that we've provided. Um, sure. Dan Hodap with the Ports Planning and Environment Division, and always a pleasure to be here. I um, have to go back and just remember, we don't have an arts budget. We get art in two ways. When we have city funds involved in a project, we go through the public the art enrichment program, which requires 2% of the budget for that program, for that um, of hard construction costs to be used for public art. Examples of this were the 2008 and 2012 parks bonds that the port got about 34, 35 million from each of those. And we're spending the very last of that on the Pier 27 art 
that Ryan described briefly here, that Commissioner Gilman as well. The other way we get public art is when it walks in the door. Artists come to us because it's such a wonderful place to display their art, and I and they see that as furthering their life as an artist in, in getting a benefit as such. The port does not finance that. Uh, but we have not, in the past, we have not had a process for who gets to do that. We've been very grateful and we've gotten some wonderful art. This program sets, it defines how we're going to do all these different processes. And then it's going to make it transparent and public so that we convey this. It's, we are not, we have no plans unless the commission tells us to, to start um, paying for art. We don't have a budget. You don't think you saw a line in the capital plan for that. Yet, we will continue to get art uh, because we are uh, responsible for this wonderful waterfront. Um, so now, <coughs> this is a way that we are consciously and transparently going about and doing this and also um, in a, and increase the diversity of who gets to do it here so we make sure we represent all the communities around us. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, just wanted to know the process because if you're carrying the insurance every year, you know, I mean, you want to have your thing up there, which is great, but then eventually you're going to run out of money, you know, to pay for this. So at that point, the support say, well, if you're not taking care of it, do they start proposing it that it'll become city art, you know, or... We just say, well, you have so many days to remove the art. We've so, not had that. Go ahead, Dan. Okay. Um, so the art that we've seen, for instance, on Pier 14 or the polar bear that was out in front of the ferry building, we allow that for a temporary period of time when someone comes in. And they generally only want to be here for a temporary. And they have responsibility for... Um, installing and for entering into a license to use port property, which this commission has waived the license fee. But in that license, it describes the insurance, the indemnification, and the maintenance responsibilities, and the responsibility to remove it and return the site to its original condition. So they've got to generate that, all those funds to do all that. And it has a finite date. We, the time periods range from six months to about 24 months, generally. and. That's, that has not been an issue for us on the timing on the past, uh, where we've been, the commission and port staff have been flexible about that. Yeah, I, I just think, uh, you know, people should know, I guess when they're really serious, is the bow and arrow, is that, is that a public art or is that a port, that's <laughs> a port whole, property? That's a I whole mean, different I, situation. That's, that's public art. It that's, was redevelopment art, um, uh -huh. and the Gap made huge contributions to maintain and repair, um, and it's now ours. Oh, it belongs yes. to the port. Yes. I see. So eventually it could come, could be part of the port if they like, if the commission likes it, I guess. If I might, if I might just add, David Beaupre, Deputy Director of Planning and Environment, so, so essentially, we've, we have two types of art. We have three types of art on port property today. We have temporary art, like the polar bear or the rocket ship, where they come in for 12 to 18 months. They take on all the liability, but we know it's going to go away. Then we have permanent pu public art, which is goes through the Arts Commission through the Art Enrichment Program. That becomes a part of the Civic Art Collection. The Arts Commission and the city carry the liability for that, so it's permanent. Um, and then we have... And one, one condition, we did retain an artist and go through a selection process for Bayview Rise. It was meant as a temporary art program on the silos. 
we took on the liability for that. We permitted it. So those, it kind of breaks down into those three silos. Temporary, where it's the artist's responsibility. Port-sponsored, temporary or permanent if we want, where we took on the liability. Or uh, the Arts Commission through the Civic Art Collection, where they take on the responsibility and liability. Thank you. Okay. That, that's very informative. I just want to know. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Lee. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. Um, so it's, it's great that we're setting up a process so it's obvious what's going on. My, my one concern, I guess, is the um, open call says local, national, international competition. And often when you work with the Arts Commission, they like that world-renowned artist kind of discussion. I actually prefer to have local artists. So when, we, we, when I built the PUC building, we had $5 million that we could put for art, which was kind of fun, uh, because we had so many other projects happening that weren't going to be public. So we had to take the 2% and put it all in one big building. And we spent all $5 million with local artists, as, as far as local artists being in the, in the watersheds and in the part that the PUC serves. And it really made a big difference, being able to really open that up to local people. And so I would, I would encourage you, as you work through this, uh, several things. One, don't let the Art Commission take it over. They have their own ideas sometimes. They're not necessarily the same ideas that we might have. Um, you're also planning, I guess, on them. You're saying ownership and maintenance of public art involving city funds would transfer to the city. They have no money for maintenance of this stuff. So you know, transferring it to them, you still get stuck with the maintenance because otherwise they don't do it. They have you know, $10,000 a year for maintaining all the public art we have in the city. So I would, I would encourage you to do a lot more local, if at all possible. And I would encourage you to... Um, all of obviously follow the charter requirements, but you should expect that you will need to maintain if you do artwork because they don't typically do it. Thank you. Vice President Adams. Um, I enjoyed the, uh, the presentation, yeah. I, uh, I kind of like Commissioner Harrington's about we can make it local as much as possible. Um, been on the commission, I've seen some of the art here and uh, this, this is a good part about the port that, we, that we're still able to do something like that that's artistic and it shows a, a diversity in our port. So I'm, I'm very supportive of it and uh, it also is good for local artists to, to get exposure. So yeah, I'm supportive. Thank you. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for this presentation and thank you for um, the art program, for putting together the art program, and I think it's great that we'll have a transparent process for whomever wants to uh, bring art to, to the waterfront. So I'm just wondering, how does this differ from what we're doing now? Dan Hodap again from Ports Planning Environment. How does it differ from what we're doing now? It, uh, it will inform the public of what we're doing now. We'll put it on our website. We'll define the requirements for it. We'll make it easier for a, a broader range of artists to come and become involved. Um, we will open it up. We will advertise it in that respect. So I think that's um, one of the big differences. The other is, is it spells out when we use the art enrichment program with the city. So it, it, it becomes transparent and it defines that. It doesn't say we're going to do more of that type because at this time we don't have the funding associated with that. But we may on projects as they come forward. Um, so what are we advertising? 
we will we will be putting up on the website um, what an artist has to do. They need to enter an encroachment permit. They need a license to use port property. It will define the sites that uh, can handle large public art, which are some of the obvious ones, the Cruz Tumano Plaza, Pier 14, Brandon Street Wharf, the whatnot. And it will also look at, there are other types of art opportunities, um, smaller arts that could reach a broader community. It could help with our diversity on this. It could be sidewalk painting. It could be small sculptures at corners. It, it could be things on glass. It could be, it, you, you tell me the range of possibilities. So it'll transmit that we are open to these types of ideas as well. And then we've said we will look at these three times a year. Um, and see which way ones we want, see if these artists are capable of taking on these responsibilities that are defined. So it's meant to be more open, it's meant to attract art and not just the 30 or 40 foot tall sculptures, but other ways that make the waterfront fun and interesting, and the 30 or 40 foot tall sculptures. And then for most of these, other than the ones that go through the Art Commission, our staff will do the selection process? Yes. And so that's kind of how it is now? Uh, yes, it, for the open call ones, it puts the approval at the Port Commission, commission. level. For the um, direct selection, it puts it with the executive director as also with um, a presentation to the Ports Commission. Mm -hmm. And for the artist sponsored, it also puts it at the executive director level for approval. Okay. But at this point, we don't have any funds and we don't have anything to go out and say, we're looking for something at this site or we would like to do this here or... We don't, but some of the other improvements being done in Fisherman's <coughs> Wharf, as an example, there might be opportunities that come up as um, when Ms. Cohen presented the, the program there. So opportunities could arise where we do increase opportunities on some of these other activities going on along the waterfront. Thank you. No, I appreciate you putting the program together, and I, I'm, I appreciate the transparency, and I look forward to visiting the website. <laughs> Thank you. Jenica, next item, please. Item 11 is new business. I recorded a couple of items on the sole source to the CBD. We're going to come back with a six-month report on how we're doing, um, and we will be discussing, uh, we'll probably do an informational item at the one-year mark to ensure we're in good, in good shape. That's what I think is the will of the commission from the conversation. We're also going to let you know what the plan is, um, so you'll see that in advance as well. I also um, noted that we will be getting the resolution from Supervisor Walton related to the Pier 94 trailers to the commission and a full look at IFD, CFD, and I've, oh, and in six to nine months, we will schedule an informational item with our city partners about what the city is doing to address sea level rise. Is there any other new business? Um, <clears throat> You know, the tour that I went on the, the Princess uh, Majestic was, was great. Okay. How they grind up all their raw material. <laughs> and it doesn't smell, you know? It smells really good down there, actually. But um, my question is, is how do we tap into that? You know, with all the cruise ships coming in, they have 1,000 workers and 3,500 passengers. Is there a way that we can help our tenants get more involved when, when they come in and maybe offer you know, discounts to their employees, 
when they, you know, they have some kind of ship ID and and then those um, you know people on the pier you know they say hey come in and enjoy some clam chowder or something and they get a discount mm -hmm. you know because I think it's a really an untapped market that uh, we will have Miss Cohen look at that with the CBD. Uh, we have a stevedoring company uh, that manages the events and the cruise ship um, terminal and engages with marketing, with other uh, interested parties. So we have, there is work linking the okay. cruise ship passengers to the economics of the city right around it, but there's always more work that could be done. And you're right, we have a banner year of cruise ships. Every, right. I mean, we have really, that has been like leading recovery for us is these cruise ships. So uh, we will look at that and see about putting an informational item on or a, a report to you about what we're or, doing. Or is there a, a, a point of contact on well, the port staff, or no? It's pretty much. It would be someone in the maritime division. Maritime, yeah. But we will um, we'll look at okay, it and yeah. get back I, to I you. I think that that'd be very encouraging for our tenants to help them out. I would like an update on Pier Seventy, mm. and you know what's going on out there. And I understand there's a new team in place, and that would be great. I would like an update on the vendors that are on the waterfront <laughs> selling hot dogs and clothes down there by the cruise terminal. Mm -hmm. I'm running out there no more, they're just out there. Mm -hmm. Has there been any, like an update on that and where are we at with that, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely, thank you. Any other new business? Mm -mm. If not, can I have a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Is there a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 The meeting is adjourned at 6.22 p.m. Great.